Oh, Luke, both. I'm such an idiot. Look, you believed it because you wanted to believe it. Your true feelings were too gross and icky for you to face. I did not want them dead. You did too. I did not. Did too. I did not. I did too. I did not. Did too. Did not. Did too. Did not. Did not. Did not. Oh, I didn't know what to do. Come on, you did. You just not. Young love. Did you hear? School's canceled today because Kurt and Ram killed themselves in a repressed homosexual suicide pact. No way. The football season is over, Veronica. Kurt and Ram had nothing to offer the school but date rapes and AIDS jokes. Sure. Can we make an ice run before the funeral? There's any way you can hear me, Kurt, buddy. I don't care that you really were some pansy. You're my own flesh and blood, and no, you made me proud. My son's a homosexual, and I love him. I love my dead gay son. Six minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 and this, the month of October in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program, an excursion into whimsy. Thank you for joining us today. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. And the reason that movie doesn't date is because it was so far ahead of its time. I mean, it was great then. But that movie, Heather's, just has a sharpness and an edge to its, and, and not in an edgy kind of way, but I mean, the, the writing is just so sharp and precise. I mean, there's real corners on those sentences. They are constructed so well. It's a type of writing that really didn't come into vogue, I think, until probably the very late 90s. You know, but they were, man, that Daniel Waters guy that wrote that, he was, uh, he knew what he was doing way back when. Fantastic. Wonderful. Excellent. Genius. It is Friday, and welcome to Day 12. It's 503-733-2970. If you'd like to join us today, 503-733-2970. If you'd like to get on board with your questions, comments, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, uh whatever it is uh, you might have to ruminate upon on this Friday. It's 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol is uh, standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along the observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the uh, absurd, whatever it is you have. 503 503- Seven three three two nine seventy. Final note about that Heather's clip. The real genius moment there in the, in the beginning is when Christian Slater and Winona Ryder are going back and forth. But you wanted them dead. I did not. You wanted them dead. I did not. And then when she begins singing, Mary had a little lamb. And on the third time through, she does that great thing where her voice cracks a little bit. And I don't know if that was intentional or if she it, it, it just sort of happened and they kept it in the take. That's really what sells that Mary had a little lamb delivery. The cracking of the voice. All right. God is in the details, my friends. 
It's uh, 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, here's what's coming up today. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us not once, but twice. Uh, Lisa will join us later on in this hour. Uh, she'll also come out in the uh, 1 o'clock hour to do her top five teenage moping songs. So we'll talk to her around 11.35 uh, today. And then again in the 1 o'clock hour to count down her top five teenage moping songs, which are genius, which are fantastic, which are in every way exemplary. Uh, it's a list that shames most of the others that have been uh, that have been done. Uh, so uh, what else? Steve Kastenbaum will be joining us today. Aaron Duran from Film Fever Radio is going to be in at the 2 o'clock hour. Uh, Mr. Tamako will join us in the 2 o'clock hour as well. Mr. Tamako is the guy that created the tobacco-tomato hybrid based on the one that was on The Simpsons. And then in a weird sort of cyclical snake-eating-its-tail kind of a thing, The Simpsons did a tobacco plant. He then created a real-life tobacco plant, which he brought on this program a few years ago. And now on the just-released uh, Simpsons Season 11 DVD set, on the commentary for the Tamako episode, Mr. Tamako himself is there doing the commentary along with some of the show's creators, and he mentions us, which is pretty fantastic. I mean, that's that's cool stuff. You know, you know, you, 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 not too many chances for things like that to happen to you. So uh, Mr. Tamako will be here. Uh, comedian Craig Gass will join us in the studio later on as well. And in just a few minutes, we're going to talk to Patrick, the guy from Costco. And he may come to your business. You may have some some similar guy who comes to the, your conference room, your office, your kitchen, and he sort of sits there with the big thing of muffins and the stack of Costco registration forms. So we're going to talk to him about muffins, about Costco, and about fighting zombies in the coming apocalypse. So, uh, what else? Well, I'm going to tease anything else because we may or may not even get to it. It's a full a full plate already. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification. A Las Vegas man admits to attempting to bring a pipe bomb aboard a plane. Bright Town in the Pearl District and the Savi Island Corn Maze are now open. A massive solar cell plant opens in Hillsboro today. Jeb Bush calls the Oliver Stone movie about Debbie a lot of hooey. Actual, actually talk that way? Actual hooey? Hooey. I figured it'd be more poppycock. Yeah, it's hooey. All right. Uh, we're not done yet with Joe the Plumber, whose real name is Sam. I was right yesterday. I saw some, uh, I have this right here. Uh, Rick, I saw Sarah Palin stumping through Ohio, and at the moment, uh, the moment she brought up it took Joe Plummer to, uh, well, she, there's some quote where she mentioned Joe Plummer. She talked about Joe the Plumber for three minutes, and then the audience, this is from uh, somebody who saw this on TV, the audience apparently started chanting, Joe, 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 and then several signs went up all at once in the audience saying, Joe Plummer for president. <laughs> Hate this country America. sucks. <laughs> Those are your fellow Americans. And then, but then, listen to it. He signs it. He says, "He says, Rick, damn it, I love this country. We are so predictable and crazy and easily played. Seeing this totally made my day. America rules. Yes, it does, my friend." Mm. So we're we're getting varying reports about Sarah Palin appearing on SNL tomorrow night. So John McCain told Letterman she is, and SNL says yes. But nothing from the Sarah Palin people, so we'll find out. Then a scorned woman parades her husband's severed head through a town square. Well, then. That'll make a statement. 
Yeah. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, how are you today? I'm afraid to speak. All right. Oh, it's back. Hey, your mic is fine. No, I, but it didn't work at first, which is kind of frustrating because I had like this fun little quip to say at the beginning. What was the quip going to be? You can I say it now. I was going to congratulate you on how um, how you put that Heather's clip all together by yourself. Well, it's because Bobby's list yesterday had Heather's, and I was thinking oh, about yeah. what a fantastic movie it is. Mm. So, And I couldn't settle on what scene to play. I was thinking about having the... Uh, you know, the answer does not lie in the MTV video games. You know, where he talks. What is the town they live in? I don't remember. Is it, or does he talk about the town of the high school when he says, because he says, blood is blood, own little Eskimo, when he's talking about the oh, Shannon Doherty's character. I know, I know this. Well, in any event, so I, I didn't know whether to do uh, the, the preacher talking at the funeral. I didn't know whether to do. Um, Winona Ryder and Christian Slater fighting in the car. I didn't know whether to do the I love my dead gay son, so I just kind of took the best of all possible worlds and merged them together there. Uh, it well, was well, you look it's nice what? today, Sarah. Oh, well, thanks. I'm just wearing a sweater. Are you dressed up for Craig Gas? Yes. I'm getting myself all hooked up in my um, <laughs> in my baggy gray sweater <laughs> and cuffed pants. I'm slutting it up, I tell you. Uh, no, I had to okay. wake up really early this morning, and it was freezing, so I put on like a billion layers because they're showing my apartment again at 9 a.m. on a Friday morning. Now, are these the different buyers? Are they, they keep recycling through different people who are trying well, to... Well, my apartment's falling apart. I mean, it has so much water damage on the kitchen ceiling from when it was like, you know, when Jet's toilet exploded, and it was like raining water down through my kitchen. My doorknobs are all falling off, like... <laughs> I'm kind of hoping I extra loosened the doorknob, too, when I, um, when I left the house. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you're living in a real... Uh, it sucks because the, real, the realtors, like, or not the realtors, but my rental person won't come and fix all the things that are wrong with our house. So you're well, living in a in real... Order uh, to, in order for the next buyer to get a mortgage, all those things will have to be repaired. Otherwise, he'll have to take a cut in what he's asking for it so he can fix it before he sells it or he'll have to reduce his asking That's price. what I was thinking because they keep having all these potential buyers come through, but then they all they all back out because there's so much work to be done in that place. Right, because once the inspector comes through and the bank will require that, they see all the problems, then that's why it's taking so long to sell your apartment. That yeah. is Tim Riley, the voice of adulthood speaking. All right. So you're living in a real handyman special right now. I do, but I love it. You know what? It, it works just fine for me. It's, it's the right amount of space for myself. Well, all right then. It is 503-733-2970. What else do we want to get through today? Uh, I have this fantastic... This is the thing I don't say very often. I have this fantastic sports soundbite to play. In fact, let's play it right now, shall we? And then we'll bring in Patrick, the Costco guy. Let's see. Where is this? It's right here. Somebody sent this to me this morning, so I, I forget exactly who it was that sent this, but, but thank you. This is, uh, this is quite wonderful. So this, the next voice you're going to hear is a guy named Matt Stairs, and he's a, uh, he's a Major League Baseball player. He plays for the Philadelphia Phillies. So this guy plays for the Phillies, and I'm, I, I don't know the exact context of this press conference he was doing, but I think he was talking about... I, I, I get the feeling he'd had kind of a kind of a bad streak going. He'd had sort of a slump, and I think he was getting razzed by the guys, as they say. But then he apparently turned it around, and he he did something. He caught a ball, or he hit something, or whatever. Anyway, so he's doing this press conference where he's talking about how it feels. You know, it, it feels good to do a great job, and to have your teammates, you know, really go from sort of criticizing you to praising you. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Major League Baseball player. Matt stares, uh, I think, yesterday afternoon at a press conference. Matt, you said it's at the top of your pinch hit home runs. Is it at the top or is it the top? Uh, definitely the top. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things where you, you know, you've been here for a month and you want to get that one big hit where you, you feel like you're really part of the team. And not that I don't feel like I'm part of the team by no means, but when you get that, you know, that nice celebration coming in the dugout and um, you're getting your ass hammered by guys. 
Uh, there's no better feeling than, than to have that done. And uh, it's definitely the, uh, the top pinch of home run of, of my career. Who can disagree? <laughs> Are they talking about the World Series here, or is this the regular season? I don't know. Um, You're getting your ass hammered by guys. Uh, there's no better feeling than, than to have that done. The voice of athletics, ladies and gentlemen. Matt Stairs, role model. All right. Well, on that note... Well, at least he doesn't take drugs. It's 503-733-2970. In just a moment, we'll be joined by uh, Patrick, the Costco guy. So, hard to start a day any better than that. That and the Heather's thing back-to-back. It's going to be a great show. I can sense it. It's going to be a busy show. So, yeah, Aaron Duran is going to be here later. Mr. Tamaka will be here. Craig Gass will be here. And uh, Patrick, the Costco guy, in a moment. Hi, uh, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. First call of the day, setting the tone for everything that follows. Please don't suck. I'll try my best. Um, I just wanted to give everyone a heads up. I'm an avid listener of your show, but I didn't know anything about this awesome new show that's on uh, Sunday mornings on the CW at uh, 6.30 a.m. I know something about that. I don't know anything about that. Is it Saturday or Sunday? Is it Sunday morning? I thought it was Sunday morning. Yeah, it's Sunday morning. Yeah, Saturday. Well, on my satellite, it's Sunday, but I don't know. Well, moving on. So I don't know anything about this program. It would be, uh, and even if I did, I don't know that CBS uh, Radio would allow me to speak on it. Uh, so I will, uh, I'll have to just defer to your knowledge of whatever this Sunday morning program might be, sir. I, Rick Emerson, cannot speak to that or about that or regarding that in, in any way. Well, it's an excellent program, and the host is outstanding. So I just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention and let them know to keep an eye out for it. Now, someone told me that the host of that program had fine, delicate features that were perfect for television. I heard he was kind of a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> but those things are not mutually exclusive, Sarah. All right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right. There you go. So perhaps if someone happened to turn on their TV to the CW at 6. 30 well, I think they, they should set, set their DVR to make sure it records at that time. Absolutely. In order to watch it at their convenience. Maybe to find to out about the save every show. moment when they're wide awake to do so. I heard that the Willamette Week had a write-up about that person as well, you know, talking about them hosting the show and everything. Yeah. That's what I heard. I should say at this point, sort of the irony... I'll be very careful about this because I... I Rick Emerson does take a uh, conflict of interest directors from the Human Resources Department and, of CBS Radio very very seriously. And there are many programs on the CW. Could we talk about Gossip Girl? Exactly. I don't think so. This is more of a gossip guy. I will say this. After that write-up in the Willamette, I can talk about this all I want. Uh, in the write-up in the Willamette, it's in the print edition this week, page 32, but you can also read it online. You go to rickemerson.com. There's a link to it, uh, which will kind of explain. Let me just say, so CBS... Like a lot of companies, you said there's a lot of rules and regulations governing what you can say on the air about outside projects. And if you're doing something that is an outside project unrelated to CBS, a lot of times you can't mention it, you can't talk about it. Unless you're Adam Carolla. You can't. Yes. Uh, you sometimes can't refer to these things with any amount of specificity. So I have to refer you to rickemerson.com where there's a blog posting that does sort of link to an article on the Willamette. This sounds so circuitous. You go to rickemerson.com, there's a link to a Willamette Week article about this thing. That being said, the irony of the whole thing is, I think that this coming Sunday, it's probably going to be somebody else. That's that's the that's the thing that sort of effed up about it. I think this coming Sunday morning. So this per, this new host is already becoming like Johnny Carson, taking time off. I think this coming Sunday morning, they're actually they're actually burning off. That's a I don't that that's a that's a snarky way to put it. I don't mean, but they already had a show in a can in the can uh-huh. from someone who had been the interim host. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know how it is in television. TV. You know, you tape something. That's mo- you know that you spend money to tape it. You're going to use it. Absolutely. So this coming Sunday morning, I think that they are actually using this show that 
was in the can from like three months ago that actually has a different host. So that's that's funny thing about it. So this publicity and everybody's sort of talking about it. Everyone everywhere is talking about it. And then I think actually this Sunday it's going to be someone else. I, I do believe it will in fact be a woman this coming Sunday. So... So the Sunday after next is what we're looking at. If you tune in on Sunday and I look like a woman, can, can we that's why. Can we segment next Friday at this time? Yes, we will, Maybe Tim. That, it'll be more perfect. All right, Richie, can we bring uh, Patrick from Costco into the studio? That would be fantastic. All right. Richie Bristol is now bringing in Patrick, the Costco guy. Who we hunted down in the parking lot. So here's what happened this morning. So, and again, this may happen at your office, your place of business, wherever it is you spend your days. You may get this thing where they say, hey, there's going to be some guy from Costco here this Friday. If you have questions about membership or if you want to sign up or if you want to, uh, you know, learn more about the wondrous discounts that they offer you on all variety of goods and merchandise, come on in. Oh, and by the way, there's going to be muffins. And that's how they get you in. I mean, that's the thing. That, that's like the Maple and the Roach Motel. That's how they bring you in, and then you're there, and you look at the paperwork, and you say, by God, Costco is a bargain in every way. I can't afford not to join. But you initially go there for the muffins. So Dave's in, gets on the intercom this morning, and he says, by the way, I just want to let you know that Patrick, the Costco guy, is going to be here at 10 o'clock, and there will be muffins, so everybody should come by. And so Sarah and I had already planned to have Patrick on today to talk about Costco and muffins and and zombies. And Patrick ended up leaving a little bit early, and we didn't really know that. So Dave announced, so the Costco guy has left, but there's still some muffins in the conference room. And I ran out of my office, down the hallway to the front office, and Sarah was already there, too. Sarah had heard the same announcement. Sarah and I both bolting to the front of the building trying to find it. And we actually, Patrick, we chased you down in the parking lot. In your car. Right. I'll let you get right up on the microphone there if you can. So, uh, hello, Patrick from Costco. How are you today? Very good. So, what is your uh, official title, your position at Costco? I am a uh, uh, outside marketer for Costco, mm-hmm. and we're out of the Tigard Warehouse, and we take care of all the marketing on this side of the river into Lake Oswego and into the Tigard area. Let me ask you this right now. Uh, at any point in your life, does anyone refer to you as the Muffin Man? Yes. Well, see, there are worse things to be known as. A couple questions about the muffins. Where do they come from? I was going to ask you that's in there. Are those Costco muffins? They are Costco muffins. They are cooked in our warehouse. Really? They're actually really? cooked there? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So now, do you pick the variety of muffins you bring with you, or do they just sort of be like, here's your muffins for today? No, I pick what's coming out. What are the most popular muffin flavors? Um, a lot of the blueberry, the chocolate. Mm-hmm. The chocolate chocolate chip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what else I dig? What is that muffin that's got uh, like a maple icing drizzle on top of it? It does have. Uh, yeah. What what kind of muffin is it? Like a spiced muffin? Is it apple? What is that muffin? Well, there's like, quite a few that we have, and uh, some of them have banana in them, and now there's a new one that has powdered sugar on top that has has uh, banana on it. Excellent. All right, because you know the one I'm talking about, Sarah, where it's got like it's got like this almost like this magic shell maple icing that is Are on the top the of it. The no, 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 it's not lemon. See, that's what I'm saying. It's not lemon. It's almost like the topping is like brown sugar and maple icing. Does that sound familiar? Do you know the muffin of which I speak? No, because we always just have blueberry poppy seeds and the chocolate chocolate chip. Mm. All right. Of those muffins, sir, which is your favorite? Blueberry. Really? Yeah. All right. Hey, and here's just a final question about muffins before we talk about Costco and then zombies. Has anybody actually done the Seinfeld thing of making the muffin top treat? Does anybody actually sell those? Because that's a thing, you know, the muffin, you know, because there was that whole Seinfeld where Elaine was talking about the muffin top because that's the only part anybody really likes. And she was saying that somebody got to sell muffin tops. So I'm wondering if actually if anybody's ever done that. 
Haven't All right. Seen it. Costco. See, that could be one of your first in-house, like, <laughs> Costco-branded products right there. Costco muffin tops. And then you just sell them in packages of, like, 8,000 or whatever, and that's fine. All right. Um, so, Costco, first of all, and I plead ignorance on this, because Costco is sort of an interesting cultural phenomenon to me. I come from this small town called Kennewick, Washington, which when I was growing up was like maybe 20,000 people, something like that. And I remember when the Costco first came in, and I mean, Costco is a great place. Don't get me wrong. It's it's what America is all about. You walk in there, and it's just a massive warehouse of just food and clothing and consumer goods and electronics and books and like... I don't know, sort of Edie McClurg-looking women with sausages on toothpicks. I mean, it's just the best place ever. And But it was even greater when I was a kid because it was a real status symbol to belong to Costco. And I remember there was this whole sort of weird caste system in my hometown where if you had a Costco card, like, you were from the right side of the tracks. And if you didn't have a Costco card, like, if you somehow didn't, it was almost like a secret club or like you had to know a guy. It was like a Masonic ritual to get to get a Costco membership. So, but now it just it seems like the uh, the bar has been lowered, my friend. So anybody it is open to all American citizens now. They can come into the warehouse, they can sign up for a membership, and they can get a personal membership or they can get a business membership or they can get their executive membership. What is the executive membership? Do I get is there like a private washroom or something I get access to? Nope, you end up receiving 2% back on your purchase. And um, and at the end of the year, a lot of people will pay for the membership every single year for what they purchase at Costco. Let me ask you this. Do you ever wander around Costco and look at something and just say to yourself, no one needs this many of this item? I mean, really, do you ever just look at like 8,000 cocktail straws or something and go, there's no point. This doesn't need to be. This doesn't need to exist. Well, a lot of the businesses are the ones that purchase those. All right. There you go. That makes sense. I have a question for you about Costco. And now maybe this is something that we, to which you can't speak, uh, you know, as a marketing person. So we here at the Rick Emerson Show, we are terrified of the coming zombie apocalypse. I mean, really, let's just be honest. It's, it's a matter of time. I mean, we're talking years maybe at the most, but I'm thinking sometimes months before the zombies rise against us and we all have to seek refuge somewhere. So I'm saying this to you, and anybody who listens to the show for a long time, they can tell you I've been talking about this for, for months now. I think that Costco is the best place to hide out in the coming zombie apocalypse. Because here's the thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. First of all, you got food. True. You've got clothing. True. You've got uh, certainly it's just some camping and outdoor and tool goods, which could be used as weapons. You've got your hatchets, your hammers. Seasonal. G- generators, yes. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've got radios, so one could hear about news from the outside world. Truly. Is it true that most Costco's, you have your own fuel supply as well? We do. Probably backup power? Yes. And now, steel shutters, do you have like steel doors or something that come down? In the front. All right, so... An air-to-ground missile system? (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you've got... uh, There's no real big windows facing the outside or anything? None at all. All right, I'm telling you this right now. You have to trust me on this. Uh, Now, I don't work in marketing except in a sort of amateur, like, hobby kind of way. You are a professional marketer, so I'll leave this ultimate decision to you. I'm saying from me to you, here's, here's something you could do to get Costco a little bit of notice. Some sort of YouTube video or something where a guy from Costco, perhaps yourself, Patrick, you come on and you say, Hi, my name is Patrick and I work at Costco in the marketing department. You may know Costco for our wide variety of consumer goods, foods, any number of things that you and your family need in large quantity at a reasonable price. You may also know us for our large variety of tasty muffins. But what you may not know is Costco 
is your refuge during the coming zombie apocalypse. And then you cut this sort of like a schematic or a blueprint of the Costco, and you show like little stick figures of zombies outside the Costco not being able to get in because, again, it's, it's a very secure building. And then you cut to the inside where you show, uh, you know, where you show people living out the zombie apocalypse in style in a safe and comfortable fashion. And then you come back and you say, protection from the hordes of the living dead. Just one more service we're happy to provide at Costco. Now, see, you're smiling. You think to yourself, Rick, this has some humor value. This is amusing. I'm telling you, that's a sort of edgy viral marketing campaign that uh, would get forwarded around online like that. Do you watch Lost? Yes. Okay, that's it. You make it like one of those Dharma Initiative videos? As Sarah can tell you this, uh, the kids, they'd look at that, they'd forward it to everybody they knew, and then Costco would not only get more mental real estate, top-of-mind awareness, as they say in sales, you'd have a little bit of cool factor going there. You'd get some hip points for that. That's a little idea I'm giving you for free, Patrick, from me to you. You'll have to pass it through corporate on that one. You tell you what, you put me in a room, I'm going to sell them. I, you, you put me in a room with the decision maker, the guy behind the guy, I will close him on this deal. <laughs> All right. Patrick, thank you so much for coming in. Appreciate and, it. Uh, oh, we were going to ask about the muffins, too. So it doesn't hurt your feelings if anyone ever said, just go and like steal the muffins oh, and yeah. then run out? You feel Not like you're being all. used for pastries? Not at all. Have and you ever caught anybody stealing muffins, putting them in their purse? They can take as many muffins as they want. Really? Leave them right here, and you may just uh, encourage them on to a membership. And it's really nice of you to leave the muffins behind, too, because you could just as easily take them. Because if I were you, I'd, I'd say screw that. If people, you know, you're done signing up, the muffins leave with me. I wouldn't leave the muffins if I were you, but you're a better person than I am. I really like leaving them. <clears throat> All right. Patrick, you are a truly good person, I can tell. Thank you. All right. Thank you for coming. Patrick from Costco, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. All right. Take a break. We'll go back after this. We've got Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum, the top five, Tim Riley, Aaron Duran, Mr. Tomeco, Craig Gass, Lions and Bears and Tigers. Oh, my. Back after this on the Rick Emerson Radio. Matt, you said it's at the top of your pinch hit home runs. Is it at the top or is it the top? Oh, uh, definitely the top. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things where you, you know, you've been here for a month and you want to get that one big hit where you, you feel like you're really part of the team. And not that I don't feel like I'm part of the team by no means, but when you get that, you know, that nice celebration coming into the dugout and um, you're getting your ass hammered by guys, uh, there's no better feeling than, than to have that done. And uh, it's definitely the, uh, the top pinch of home run of, of my career. That's the soundbite of the week right there. That's way better than anything Joe the Plumber's going to say. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Once again, uh, for the Philadelphia Phillies, baseball player Matt Stairs, role model for children. 503-733-2970. We got uh, Kevin, Carl coming up. Let's see, we have muffin calls, zombie calls. All right. You think I was freaking the Costco guy with my discussion of the zombie ad? No, he seemed really nice. I think that he was listening to you. I think he thought you were kind of insane. Yeah, I don't think he really grasped well, the idea. We're, we're crazy people, and we chase him down in the parking lot. It's like, come on our video show. <laughs> and you and I are bumbling. It looks like, do you remember when we were up there talking to him? Like, you're like, I'm Rick. I'm Sarah. We're yeah. on a show. The best part, though, was how we both heard the page. This is the part I didn't want to say with Patrick in the studio. Dave Zinn said the most hilarious page I've ever heard. I can say it now that the Costco guy is gone. So the Costco guy came here this morning, and he sits, sadly, uh, usually alone, in the conference room with muffins and a stack of Costco membership forms. And, of course, as I said, you know, the, the, the muffins are sort of the maple in the Roach Motel. They lure you in, and then while you're in there, he's trying to get you to sign up, which is fine. I understand how American business works. But Dave came on the, uh, on the, the, the intercom here in the office, and he said, this is what prompted Sarah and I to run into the parking lot. Dave Zinn came on the intercom, and he said, 
If you were wanting a muffin but didn't want to talk to the Costco guy, it's okay. He's gone, but he left the muffins behind. And then Sarah and I both ran upstairs because we're like, oh, God, we got to get the Costco guy before he leaves. So as Sarah and I are running through the lobby out to the parking lot to get the Costco guy, just like a trail of ants, we just see people coming up from the basement of the downstairs and all the hallways lining the building just into the conference room to get the muffins now that the guy is gone. So... Just kind of feel bad for him. (laughs) Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hills, CNN Radio Correspondent, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you? Hey, guys, how's it going? Uh, Things are going well. How's your life? How are... uh... How are all the different aspects and facets of your existence? Wow, I, I wish we had muffins, but other than that, I can't complain. Is this really your only complaint that you are muffinless? It is, it is. I actually, today has been a phenomenal day. I've gotten some crazy, nerdy election research done. Um, it's been great. Oh, well, all right then. Yeah. Uh, hey, did you hear this, uh, this clip from Matt Stairs, who plays for the Phillies? No, which clip? I I know, and he he was he was key in uh, in in clinching uh, their the championship for him. So this is, see, this is why you and I together make one whole person. Uh, <laughs> so because we sort of fill in each other's gaps here, knowledge wise. So he play. What does he do? He's an outfielder. Um, you know, he's he's mainly known, I think, as a hitter. I'm not sure what is I'm not sure what is what he does on defense. I think they just brought him in as a hitter. So I have this great sound. I, I may I might be way off on that, but that's what I think. I have this fantastic soundbite from him. Which is funny, don't get me wrong, but I have no context in which to put it. So he was given this press conference, I think, last night. Uh, He was given this press conference, and I'll play it for you in a second. It's about 25 seconds, and it's worth every moment of it. And he was, I guess, describing having accomplished something, or he did something good, and you said he helped clinch the World Series or whatever? Right, or whatever. Whatever. World Series still up ahead, but it's ah, it's close enough. All right. So anyway, so this is baseball player Matt Stairs giving a press conference where he describes the feeling that comes with doing something good. Matt, you said it's at the top of your pinch hit home runs. Is it at the top or is it the top? Oh, it's definitely the top. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things where you, you know, you've been here for a month and you want to get that one big hit where you, you feel like you're really part of the team. And not that I don't feel like I'm part of the team by no means, but when you get that, you know, that nice celebration coming in the dugout and um, you're getting your ass hammered by guys, uh, there's no better feeling than, than to have that done. And, uh, it's definitely the, uh, the top pinch of home run of, so. of my career. So there you go. <laughs> That's fantastic, and I have a feeling he's hearing that from his ball club. What do you mean, hearing this? Getting your ass hammered by guys. Uh, there's no better feeling than, than to have that done. All right. <laughs> yes. We're going to play that five or 6,000 times more, by the way, before the end of the program today. I, I am certain. Yeah, he had... Um, it was it was game four and the Phillies were down and everybody was it was it looked like it was might be over and it was just terrible and he came up and had a home run that's what he was talking about there uh, perhaps and uh, and and turned everything around it seemed like hey let me uh, speaking of turning things around let me uh, ask you about these these various polls that are coming out because we heard I think CBS News actually had a poll the other day that said that uh, that uh, Obama was up by something like fourteen points. Nationally. Yeah, and so now, granted, it's Drudge, but I think he's citing Gallup, uh, where Drudge is saying that there's been polls being done that put him within, like, two or three of each other. So, yeah, so who, yeah. who am I supposed to believe? What is, what is the general consensus? Is there a poll of polls that will kind of tell us where things are right now? There is a poll of polls. CNN does a poll of polls. That's fantastic. And, in fact, 
the CNN poll of polls in the last two days, and we're doing it practically every day now, um, has narrowed a little bit. I think the last one has them within uh, six or five. It used it was eight, I think, three days ago, and now it's something like six or five between them. And so, and so McCain somehow is picking up points. It, it's not clear exactly what's going on with that. We've got it. We're not sure what issues he's gaining on. I think the thing is that nationally, we know, however, in the battleground states, it's going the other way right now, that Obama's doing well in the battleground states. But I think Republicans, uh, in, in Republican states, independents are swinging toward McCain a little bit right Really? Now. That, that, I mean, I, I, I guess, I don't know, I guess that surprises me because I think the conventional wisdom is that, is that when there are undecideds, undecideds always break for the challenger and... I guess Obama would be considered the challenger in this case in that his party is not currently in office. So. Yeah, he's right. You know, I honestly don't know what's going on with this um, gap narrowing, but I do think it's good for Barack Obama because I think he was uh, – people were under, starting to think, oh, this is over, he's won. Right. A lot of those new voters that, uh, you know, may not be uh, the most likely to go out and vote. Well, that's the thing. Probably so are going to stay home. So I, I think he needs it to be a little closer to get out his people. That's the thing. So, I mean, it's just as – you know, and I go back and forth on this just from day to day about whether thinking it's, it's all sewn up and it's kind of in the bag or, or thinking that it's not. And you bring up a really good point, which is that – I mean, there's basically two two ways you can run this. You can either have a whole bunch of people supporting you who may or may not actually vote, or you can have a smaller number of people supporting you who probably will vote. I mean, really, unless there's like a tornado that hits the town. So, and you know, and that's Obama and McCain respectively right now. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, especially if it's as close as they're kind of now saying it is, you got to wonder how much of that Obama base is going to turn out since, you know, the, really the younger the age, the less likely you are to vote, just statistically speaking. it's That's why I think Obama seems to be telling people every five minutes now, there seems to be some release from the Obama camp saying, like, don't sleep on this. Don't, don't slack. Don't take it for granted because we could very easily get hosed. Yeah, that that and they're, they are they're very smart, you know, and I think it, it's tricky, though, for Obama because he was at a private fundraiser uh, a couple nights ago where he said, you know, we're going to need a lot of expertise when this is over. We're going to need some advice, you know, which, which Candy Crowley put it well in her piece saying, you know, it's practically asking for resumes. You know, but then on the other right. hand, on the campaign trail, he's being uh, very smart. I mean, they they see the polls. You know, they see they're doing well in a lot of these battleground states. But on the campaign trail on the last day, uh, Barack Obama went out there, and this is his new stump line, is to say, you know, to those of you who think this election is over, two words for you, New Hampshire. Right, because that's where Hillary cleaned his yep. clock. Yep. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's it's smart. He's got to do it. I mean, we've still got a lot of time left in this election, and, and he, he needs his people to be a little nervous and really, you know, they've been working so hard, but he needs them to work just as hard, if not harder, right now. And, you know, McCain may see a little bit of an opening here. i, I got to tell you, it's just if I can just to speak large, large picture for a moment and just sort of wax philosophical about whatever. Yeah. You've got Obama who... By many estimates, uh, if not if not most estimates, seems to have a massive electoral lead and does seem to have things are very very good for him. The signs signs are very good for him on the electoral front in terms of the number of electoral votes that are considered a lock for him or at least leaning heavily toward the Obama camp. Um, you know, and to the point where they're saying that that if everything kind of holds the way it, the way it is expected to to be, that all he really needs to do is get Florida. But but then, actually, just Virginia, he does he can lose Florida at this point, really. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got you know Obama who's got this massive electoral 
lead right now, uh, or at least is perceived to. Right. But then when you look at these polls nationwide where it does seem so even, it seems so split and polarized, and there's just these intractable differences that don't, you know, they, they just seem irresolvable at this point. So I guess my question for you is, and this is really just a big navel-gazing question, whoever wins this election, whether it's McCain or Obama, I can't even imagine... I, I, whoever wins this, how are they ever going to run a country where half of the mm. people just hate the other half? Right. Well, you know, you, I mean, you can look at look at people who who ran in that kind of an environment and were successful, like Ronald Reagan, for example. Uh, a lot of people certainly did not like him at different points. Right. Uh, and same thing with Bill Clinton. But nonetheless. Right now, you know, in hindsight, Americans kind of became okay with both of them, even if they didn't really agree with everything. You know, I mean, there's still a lot of anger toward both of those guys from different segments. But I think, you know, what they did is they were both of them were able to kind of somehow get beyond uh, the political minutia and somehow relate to the American people and, and, and inspire them. Both of those guys were able to inspire people. And I think John McCain or Barack Obama, whichever one wins, that's their only shot at, at really kind of getting this country together is speaking genuinely, not just rhetorically, but, you know, like President Bush kind of likes to wax poetic sometimes. Right. And it just, you know, it just it doesn't stick. And but these two guys have to genuinely um, inspire the country and motivate the country. And they, they've got a shot. I mean, I, everyone keeps saying whoever wins uh, is just, it, it, what a terrible time to be president. This is awful. They're kind of, you know, from the get-go, they're going to be behind. Right. I, I see it the opposite way. I think whoever wins has a chance of being, and we've talked about this before, one of the greatest presidents uh, that we've seen. And, I, I mean, they, they could also blow it, you know, but, but this, this is, they've got a shot at really turning around a lot of big problems. I mean, with this, the, amount of, the amount of split right now, and you look at how close the popular vote is likely to be, at least if these polls are anything approaching accurate, the popular vote is probably going to be a lot closer than the electoral vote. And I don't, I don't know. I have to. I can't. I can't even imagine the, the tone, though, that will that this country will have for the, you know, the month, two months, three months that follow this election, uh, regardless of which way it goes. Because there's going to be like 48 percent of the country that feels like they were wronged and who perhaps may feel like the vote was stolen from them. Um, so it's, it's just. Man, I mean, but that it depends on how the loser handles it. That's a, that's a huge factor, and I also think. You know, we could, if, if Barack, I mean, perhaps everything will change and John McCain will run the tables, but if either one of these guys, there is still a chance uh, that one of these guys will have just a, a victory like we haven't seen in a while, which isn't saying much because always had, had right. close elections, you know, and that, that certainly would, I think, change change people's attitude. Either, either way, you know, there'll, there'll be, I think there'll be a moment where they'll be like, well, at least it's somebody new, you know. And <laughs> I suppose. Uh, all right, your glass is always two-thirds full, you know? It really is. All right, well, let me scoot. All right, uh, just, I'd like to leave you with this thought. You're getting your ass hammered by guys. There's no better feeling than, than right, to so have that done. There you go. Yeah. Philadelphia Phillies. All right, thank you, Lisa. Okay. All right, there you go. Matt Stairs, role model. All right. It's 503-733-2970. Lisa Desjardins returns later in the program uh, to do her top five. Yes, around 140 does. or so. All right, let's do these calls. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's you up? asked about whether anybody was actually doing the uh, top of the muffin to you thing. Muffin tops, yes. Yeah, um, the Army is, actually. If you uh, if you open enough of uh, the Army MREs, uh -huh. every now and then is the dessert. You get a muffin top. That's pretty great. Well, especially because those MREs are real, uh, they're thin, you know, basically like a TV dinner sort of. So I yeah, guess you I'm couldn't put a whole... right now. 
Yeah, you, so you couldn't really put a whole muffin in there unless it was like a muffin square or something. So you actually have the muffin top. Is it good? I never opened it. I mean, I know good is a relative term with those MREs. The, the weird thing about those, uh, and the, the MRE is a, a meal ready to eat. It's just this meal. You can just open it and eat it, and you don't have to do anything with it. Um, the weird thing about those is that I don't even know that they taste bad, but they taste really dense because they all have about 7,000 calories because the whole idea is, especially if you're in some sort of battle situation, you know, you may not get a chance to eat for another day and a half. And so they put as many calories into those things as possible. And so as you're eating, it's just like you are filling your stomach with some sort of tasty lead. You know, it's like eating bricks made out of food. Yeah. All right. Yeah, the, bricks, uh, the bricks usually come after you've eaten the food. <laughs> Excellent. Well done, sir. Thank you. Yep. All right. Fantastic. That was, that was good. That's what that was. You're getting your ass hammered by guys. There's no better feeling than, than to have that uh, done. True. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, hello. Yeah, hello. Hey, it's you, sir. Hello. Hi. I, I'm talking to, I want to talk to you about the muffin tops. There is a place in Forest Grove which is just west of Hillsboro, called Maggie's Buns. And she has muffin tops that she makes every morning. And so and these are the, fresh muffin tops. These are fresh muffin tops made every morning. All right. She has special pans to make them. And so have you tried these uh, muffin tops from Maggie's oh, they're, Buns? They're amazing. All right. And so does, they come in a variety of flavors? They come in all kinds of, they come in everything you can think of, uh, blueberry muffins, uh, peach muffins, apple muffins. Uh, poppy seed muffins, all it, kinds of, all kinds of stuff. It's right over by Pacific University on 21st Avenue. And seen, so I wonder if this is all an outgrowth of the Seinfeld mention, or if it was some sort of thing that occurred to the entire populace at once, and it happened on Seinfeld as it was sort of occurring to everybody else. Going, by God, it could, could be. But uh, this lady's been doing this for 10 or 12 years, so long before. All right, and and what is it? It's, it's Maggie's buns. Maggie's buns. All right, thank you for the heads up, sir. Okay, thanks. All right, there you She's go. She's been doing it for 10 or 12 years. That's actually not... Fine, I'll bleep it. I didn't tell you to bleep it. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that's what that expression was. <laughs> no, no. How's your like, nose remember, over there? Oh, I've, I don't know if I have allergies or a cold. You should uh, You should try my Claritin. I think I'm going to. This yeah. is like, this but little, little starting, yellow Have you difference. noticed the first, the first round of people starting to get sick here? Really? I haven't... Really? They're sniffling. You know what the sniffling leads to. Hiding out at Costco. You know it's true. See, it starts with the sniffles. The next thing you know, you're pulling out somebody's spine. So it's uh, it's no good. That's no way to no way to live your life. It's five zero three seven three three twenty nine seventy. Let's take a break here. We'll come back. Tim Riley around the corner for the Ministry of Truth. Later on, uh, Aaron Duran will join us. We'll talk about the release of W today in theaters. Mister Tamako will be here. Uh, comedian Craig Gass, Lisa Desjardins, top five teenage moping songs. Steve Kastenbaum and more. Stay there. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. Go nowhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. There was something here that I kind of cared about yesterday. I don't know if I still care about it now. Let's see, where is it? 
Oh, it's about Janet Jackson. Yeah, I don't really care about Janet Jackson so much as it's an excuse just to say this. Two weeks after concert cancellations uh, ended multiple performances, Janet Jackson returned to the stage at the Verizon Center to resume her tour, which was sidelined by a mystery illness that has now been identified as vertigo. There you go. So insert Lucille 2 Arrested Development joke uh, here. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Neighbors in Portland's landslide area are providing shelter and food for the victims of the recent slide. They say uh, at least seven families are affected and food is the biggest need. The University of Portland's catering service is preparing salmon and steak dinners for 30 displaced victims. The county commissioner is asking FEMA and the state to give aid to the families soon. He also said the city will talk to the victims' insurance companies. And just a couple of days before that uh, house slide in Southwest, the Neighborhood Association sent out flyers reminding residents of an upcoming educational forum on the dangers of landslides. Had the landslide not occurred, perhaps 20 or 50 people may have attended it, but instead... 150 showed up last night. What is it you're supposed to learn at a seminar about the dangers of landslides? I mean, what is it they're really going to tell you to do? How about not building your house on the side of a hill, for one thing? That is true. I mean, really, I mean, that's like telling you, look, we're here to have a, have a discussion about the danger of coconuts falling out of the sky and killing you. I mean, it seems like a thing that, really, you can't do a whole lot about that. That seems like a, a force majeure kind of a situation. Well, I guess there's something different to do. Fright, tra- Fright Town is now scaring visitors on a nightly basis in Portland's underground at the Rose Quarter. This annual attraction has 300 houses beneath the Portland Memorial Coliseum. Now, during the weeks leading up to Halloween, those who dare can visit the asylum, which promoters call the most terrifying of all the houses. There's also a new diabolical dwelling in Fright Town this year, the Chop Shop. The chills and thrills continue through November 1st. Then the corn maze is again delighting kids of all ages at the Pumpkin Patch on Savi Island. The maze began in 1999 and has attracted thousands of visitors ever since. This year's design, carved into five acres of towering corn, is a mosaic of Portland cityscape and surroundings. This month, the Pumpkin Patch also has free hay rides, a weekend cow train, an annual animal bar with farm animals, a produce market, and a field of screams. A cow train? A cow train. Please to define cow train. I was afraid you'd do that. You're just reading a press release. Well, of course I am. That's what I do here. <laughs> you have no idea what any of this means. What do you think? I spent endless hours <laughs> researching what I'm reading here? No. I don't even spend endless minutes. I mean, let's just you call it what it is. You tell me what a train is. I'm not going to play the Matt Stairs clip again. Uh, l- let me just say this. You know what they ought to do during the winter here? And remember, they already do it. Mm-hmm. They ought to make one of those like a like a, a snow maze, sort of like at the end of The Shining. There ought to be some maze that's just made out of big walls of snow. That'd be great, and then they can hire a guy like looks like Scatman Crothers to chase you around with an axe, <laughs> or whatever. I mean, that's, I'd do that. I'd go to that thing. All right, well, whatever. Here's Tim Riley. Now I'm gonna have to find out what a cow train is. I don't really cow care that train. much. Let's no, we okay. Well, you asked. You're gonna cow train. In the meantime, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. It's a Hello. train of cows, and kids love it. Hey. Hey, what's up? Hey, I was calling about uh, zombies because you mentioned Costco being a good place to to go. Yes, sir. Have you ever read the Zombie Survival Guide? I have indeed, by Max Brooks. Okay, yeah, same as World War Z. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a the Zombie Survival Guide is interesting. It's you, in my opinion, you can't really sit down and read it all the way through as a book because the gimmick of it, it's done really well, is that it's written just like a 
you know, like a camping survival guide or a, uh, you know, like what to do in case of a tornado or whatever. It's written very straight ahead, so it's interesting. The part that is the most fascinating in the zombie survival guide is that last third where it is documentations of recorded zombie attacks through history, and that's the best part of it. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. But, uh... I remember reading in that that actually Costco would be a very bad place. Now, did he specifically say that Costco would be a bad place? Because, well, not specifically Costco, but warehouses in general. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people would try and go go there, and, you know, you want to stay away from people. Oh, so so it's a bad idea because your neighbor's going to try to get in, and then you have no choice but to kill them. Yeah, because... They're just going to attract more zombies, and, you know, you don't want to deal with that. You want to go stay out in the woods by yourself. I do seem to recall at one point in the zombie survival guide, he was saying that a prison is a good place to go if you could be assured that it was either somehow empty or that the prisoners inside were not violent offenders. In other words, you're not going to be just like caught with a bunch of guys who are ready to chainsaw you into little pieces. He noted that a prison is designed to keep people in, so therefore it could keep zombies out. Yeah. Well... The older style prisons with like actual walls instead of like just electric fences, because mm-hmm. that's not going to stop them. Well, I think probably if you have, any, I think anything can be made secure from zombies if you just have a good sized moat. Really, a moat is one of your best protections from zombies. Well, I don't know if you're if you're going for World War Z, the zombies can float. Well, yeah. uh, well, now do they float? I thought they sunk because there was that whole thing in World War Z where the bottom of the ocean was teeming with zombies. Well, if they're like bloating with gases and stuff, they float. Well, that is true. All right, you know, clearly we're just going to have to get a team of, of engineers and biohazard experts on this show. We're going to, we should do a zombie roundtable someday. We should do like one whole hour that is just a discussion about the coming zombie apocalypse and how Portlanders can defend themselves. I'm going to do, yeah. maybe a certain local public affairs program should do that for Halloween. But not right. this weekend, perhaps the next one. Not this weekend, when apparently, I'll, when apparently I'm a woman. Never mind. Thank you, sir. Yep. All right, there you go. Here's Tim Riley. So the cow train is these barrels. They have the tops cut off and put on wheels, and they're painted like cows. Cow train. That's retarded. That's for kids. Oh, all right. Good enough for them. Uh, they also have a 1945 tractor pulling a, a farm wagon on weekends. That's only during the weekend. A man and a woman found dead in an apartment yesterday. This after a five-year-old girl alerted a neighbor to a double shooting. Happened at hillsdale Beaverton Highway. They found the body of a 25-year-old woman and 29-year-old man. They believe the pair was married. And what a terrible mess to leave for a kid. Kid was five years old, ran to the neighbor, said something was wrong. Mm. So, some people. Uh, then we have this happening in the suburbs. Tigard police are investigating a teenager's brush with a police officer at a grocery store parking lot that may not have been a cop. Mike Caselli was walking with his friends when a car nearly hit them outside the Albertsons on Barrows Road. Some guy backs up, speeds up, came really close, so they ran out of the way, and they hit the front of the car to let them know that they almost hit me. Suddenly, the man jumps out, flashes the badge, and tells them to get in front of his car, put their hands over their head, and then the man searched them. They believe the man wasn't really a policeman, and he was impersonating a police officer. So, uh, apparently, they're looking at surveillance. This happens in the suburbs all the time. Well, because I think all you really have to do is one stop by the Spencer's Gifts, and you can probably fool the average uh, citizen into thinking you're the man, right? Well, policeman's helper. Those little plastic <laughs> ones. I was just thinking one of those, like... One of those uh, Starsky and Hutch, those like magnetic lights that go, you reach out and you put on top of the car. Does that ever? Do they ever do that? Is that a thing that only happens on television? I've seen them before in L.A. Really, where a cop will lean out yeah. and he'll put that red light on top of the car as they blue speed light. through an intersection. It's blue. Yeah. All right. Because it, I I always wonder if that's a thing like from the files of Police Squad only. All right. Here's Tim Riley. World of tomorrow. 
Solar World is opening a $440 million Hillsborough manufacturing plant. The ribbon cutting apparently was today. This is a German company. The plant is North America's largest solar cell plant. By 2011, it is expected to manufacture enough material to generate 500 megawatts of electricity. The Hillsborough factory covers 480,000 square feet. It is one of six solar manufacturing projects that have come to the state in the past 18 months. Earlier this week, Sanyo broke ground for a solar plant in, uh, in Salem. Oregon has become an attractive site for renewable energy companies, largely because of the state's business energy tax credit. All right, I have two questions for this. First of all, this is a German company. Yes. And they're creating a solar cell program here that's going to create gigawatts of, of electricity or something or other. Yes. Uh, so two things. One, I don't mean to sound like a jingoist about this, but... Why does it have to be a German company? We have the sun. We have our own sun. The sun is everywhere. Why do we have to have a German company come here and do that? That seems weird. Well, maybe they, they began their research before we did here. The Germans are crafty that way. They are. They're, and evil. So, I mean, but, but, I mean it's like, do, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, we can keep them in peaceful pursuits. They're very useful. <laughs> are, you, are you saying it's a preemptive measure? This is sort of a, uh, this is a prophylactic measure, one might say. If you can divert their energy into something, if you can keep them occupied with something that doesn't involve killing other people, right. then, you know, then we're all going to be safer in the long run. Uh-huh. So it's sort of like, uh, you know, so it's sort of like you've got some nutcase kid that spends his time strangling cats. If you can get that kid onto jigsaw puzzles, then by God, everybody's going to, everybody's going to live long and prosper. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, look, uh, again, I, you know, I, we're a melting pot and whatever, and we do business with all kinds of nations, but I mean, really, we're having this difficult economy. It, it seems odd that we would have a German company come here to build solar panels to catch the sun that, like, we already have. It's odd, especially because solar panels don't really seem like futuristic. Do we all have solar panels running our calculators in high school like 30 years ago? I had them on my dollar store calculator. That's the thing. I I had them running the lights in front of my house. So, well, whatever. Uh, I'm just saying, give the Germans a foothold, and the next thing you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, it ends badly. Yes. Uh, Secondly, it's going to generate how much power, the solar thing? 500 megawatts. Doesn't 500 megawatts sound like a made-up unit of measurement? I mean, the megawatt is probably, I guess it is real, but it sounds fake. So my question to you, my question is not so much to anybody in this room, but just people in general. So there is, is there anything bigger than a megawatt? In other words, is I, I believe it's a gigawatt. Now, is that a, is that a real unit of measurement? No, I'm thinking of gigawatt, right? That's the, the Back to the Future thing. thing. I don't believe it's the same thing. I think one is made up by, made up by screenwriters. All right, so well, I guess we're not scientists in this room. So gigawatt is the largest unit, because this is one of those things where somebody, some scientist, ought to discover a way to create so much energy, you know, that it surpasses our conventional, our standard units of measurement as they now exist, simply for the purpose of actually then bringing into scientific use the actual gigawatt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, it's one of those things where you, you take something from science fiction and then you find a way to actually use it in real life, which would be great. Here's Tim Riley. Are we done with the gigawatts? I suppose. All right. More people living on the fringe in this economic chaos are turning to white-collar crime. This is something new. Local broad investigators say it is a historical fact that uh, crime rises during recessions. They've been watching uh, crime rise over the past few months, saying crime is increasing. This is going to be a useless story. The Portland police are especially worried about scams and schemes targeted at the elderly. They are watching for uh, misleading phone calls to people dressed as bank guards asking for deposits. Oregon's Department of Health and Human Services say they expect a record number of exploitation cases. All right. Well, who could pick her with that? 
So you've been asking where are the election ballots, 2008 ballots, are coming your way. I just got my information pamphlet yesterday, by the way. Although only the second half. Aren't you supposed to get two? I heard this PSA on this radio station that said that you're actually going to get two voter information pamphlets this year. There was a lovely young lady who said over my radio. Oh, you must remember because that's the only line the lovely young lady had. Look, it's not my fault. The copy was too long. You didn't even want to voice it. I didn't want to. So, uh, but I only got part two. It was like, so I don't even know where part one was. I mean, not that I'm going to read it. I mean, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll other, bring it in for you. I, I got it. I let other people think for me anyway. This year we're going to do something different. Uh, I always talk about this, but then I just, I always just skip to the bottom of the page and I end up thinking for myself. We get just because it saves time, but not this year. This year the people are going to think for me. We're going to do an Insta poll on the big, uh, you know, uh, on the big issues on the ballot. The audience is going to vote for me. The audience will vote. They will determine exactly how I cast all my ballots this year. So just uh, so what we're we calling Joe the plumber. Well, we should well, probably not, because his name is Sam, and also he's not a plumber. And also, I rescind my statement about him not being a douchebag. He's a total douchebag. I saw a follow-up interview with him, because I saw the one little blurb they did where he was saying, well, it was kind of weird that they talked to me. There's a whole country of people. And I thought, well, he's not such a bad guy. And then I saw a longer, more in-depth. No, he's he's a complete ass. So I have now rescinded my rescinding. Uh, of his uh, douchebaggery. He is, in fact... I trust Joe the Plumber a lot more than I trust your plan because (laughs) Joe the Plumber is a straight shooter and one of the finest people I've ever known. Is that a mock? So what are we listening? It's a mock. Oh, is that the SNL thing from last night? Yes, it is. Well, they're just trying to wring every dollar out of that Tina Fey thing they possibly can. I mean, they're just... Because Tina Fey has brought so much attention and heat to that show. And even when she's not on doing the Palin, people are kind of watching SNL more right now because she has sort of gotten people's attention back on that show. They are just trying to wring every ratings point and every dollar out of that program that they possibly can before the election is over and people go back to ignoring SNL. Um, anyway, so but, so when I get my ballot this year, and I don't know when that's going to be. so I, They're I, mailing them out today. Okay, so, within the, so I should have it by Tuesday, I would think, of the latest. Mm-hmm. Okay, so whenever I get my ballot... Uh, I'm going to come on in, and we'll do an Insta poll, and you, the people, will choose my votes for me. Because uh, I'm tired of thinking myself. It's, just, it's difficult. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Hey. Um, just for your own edification, there's a gigawatt, which is a 1,000 megawatts. Okay. And there's terawatt, which is a 1,000 gigawatts. Okay. There's a petawatt, which is a 1,000 terawatts. A petawatt? Yeah. Are you making that up? No, sir, I'm not. But doesn't it seem like these should all be standard and universal? Because in computing, it goes what megabyte, gigabyte, terabyte, petabyte. Oh, really? So they do. So they use the same. Is that is it like a Latin prefix or something? They must be putting on all of those then. Yeah, it's just the number of zeros to the left of the decimal point. All right, excellent. All right, well, thank you for the clarification. Yeah. One other thing, I'm sitting here with both of those uh, voters pamphlets. Mm -hmm. The first one has got this impenetrable BS about all of the uh, the ballot measures, and then the second one has got all the impre- impenetrable BS about which candidates to vote for. Really? So they're both equally useless? Yeah, I'm going to use it to line the birdcage to give the gerbil something to do. Good for you, sir. So I'm going to go enjoy my uh, Kirkland uh, chicken bite here. Okay. Costco, great place. You speak for all of us. Yes, sir. All right, there you go. Yeah, that guy. So now we got that straight. Yes. What comes after the... Well, so I don't even need to read it. It's, it's at home and it looked really... Oh, I thought you were talking about the voters' pamphlet. Oh. Well, yeah, so the, that, that, is, uh, that is straightened out, and then also the voters' pamphlet thing, which apparently I can just disregard. Done and done. Here's Tim Riley. All right. What are we going to do next here? I can't remember. Also, you're the news director. 
So there are 214 million Oregonians who registered to vote, at least 2,000 above the previous high water mark set in the 2004 election. And Tuesday marked the final day that you could uh, sign up to vote. By the way, your ballot must be returned in person to a state office or mailed in by Election Day, Tuesday, November 4th. Well, that's kind of misleading because if you mail it by that day, it doesn't mean it's going to be at its destination, which we explained in the public service announcement. I don't think we did, Tim. Maybe we should play it that to find out. That was one of my lines that were cut. Let's play. Uh, oh, that's why people don't understand. Let's play the public service announcement. And, I don't know uh, what it's called. It's uh, <clears throat> it, is it, it not labeled uh, like Rick Timmons' genius public service announcement? It's <laughs> Cleo award-winning <laughs> PSA. <laughs> I believe that's the way it should be labeled. <laughs> is it the not marked as something that's going to be the template for all future CBS PSAs in all markets? Multi-voice yeah. magic. <laughs> Attention, Dick Orkin. Well, whatever. Fear All right. of the mind. Uh, this guy says, uh, here, Rick, uh, speaking of he said, speaking of things that don't exist in real life, what about the clear blackboard? What is the benefit of having a clear blackboard? T- and then TMZ has one, too. If you watch TMZ TV, there's that thing where Harvey Levin or whatever is like writing, here's our stories for today. And he's writing out the stories on a clear blackboard, which they also have on that show Numbers. There is no, I don't even know that they make that in real life. I don't know that you could go buy a clear blackboard if your life depended on it, because there'd be no purpose. It would be almost impossible to read. It'd give you a stroke. All right, here's Tim Riley. Let's talk about other things. Vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin aims to seal some of Tina Fey's Saturday Night Live spotlight. During a rescheduled visit to David Letterman's CBS talk show last night, John McCain confirmed that his vice presidential running mate will appear in person on SNL. I think she is. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that ought to be a... Yeah, that's a, huge. A, That'll be a I guarantee it'll probably get more of an audience than our debate did. Uh, McCain said Sarah Palin has enjoyed Tina Fey's portrayal of her. It's just part of the political scene. Tina Fey does a great job. Sarah Palin enjoys it. She understands it. This is part of what politics is all about. John McCain's Peace Summit visit to Letterman has the highest viewership in nearly three years. The telecast was seen by nearly 6.5 million viewers and received 1.7 rating in the adult demo. That's the largest audience for the show since December 2005 when Oprah appeared. Late night has been topped by Jay Leno's Tonight Show. 4.6 million visitors by 43%. Yeah, but that's crap. I know. I will say that Letterman grilled him pretty hard. I mean, as hard as you can really do on a, on a late night comedy show. Uh, Letterman... Letterman did sort of go after him repeatedly on and that's the wrong way to put it. Letterman pressed him repeatedly on on several things. And Letterman's shows are always the best when he has uh you know sort of guests with whom he's been feuding or he's got somewhere he's got to bury the hatchet because that was the thing with Oprah. Because for the longest time Oprah wouldn't come on Letterman and there was and it was a thing where they were kind of rubbing each other the wrong way or something and then when Oprah finally came on it was it was a big deal. So that's the thing with McCain uh, as well. So, let, you know, obviously Letterman didn't plan it this way. It wasn't like he intended it. But Letterman does really well when he is just kind of clearing the air with you know, some guy with whom he's had some kind of running feud. And when McCain was sitting there, Letterman did press him repeatedly on trying to link Obama to this Bill Ayers guy, uh, which has kind of been that's, – that's like the big weapon that, you know, that McCain's been using. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick. Hey. Uh, for if- Make it easier instead of an Insta poll for uh, how to vote. I'd recommend, it's the only time I do this, I recommend the Laymass radio system. I will listen to that, and if he's for it, I'm against it. Oh, Lars, I'm sorry, Laymass radio system. Okay, um, wait, so you were just saying that you, you would just suggest a, a, go in the straight contrarian ticket. 
Exactly. All right. Well, it's, you know, but, logical. You know, but here's the thing: is that we like to be a show of the people, for the people, and by the people. And really, this is the logical. This is the living embodiment of that. Letting the people actually uh, not just participate in the program, enjoy the program. Letting the people actually control my vote. I mean, really, that is that is giving, well, sir. It would be it would be kind of a neat little experiment, though. Uh, once you do the Insta poll, uh, maybe Insta poll lamass, and uh, I'll bet you. It's a, a complete mirror image. You think you know what it is? This call is just a conduit for your Lars hate. That's it. You were just looking for you well, were looking for yeah, an opportunity I mean, to hate on Lars. Which don't I, get me I wrong. Don't I'm, hate, I I'm don't hate him. Lars. I feel sorry for him. <laughs> All right. Well. A little fire plug of a guy. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. All right there you go. Beady-eyed sack of flour. All right. Uh, let's see. What else are we? Uh, this is uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Hey there. I've got something else on gigawatts if you want it. Is this your real speaking voice? This is my real speaking Well, it's sort of, yeah. You sound very professorial. I, I do what I can. Uh, what do you do for a living, sir, if I can ask? I'm actually a bus driver. Really? Okay. Now, you sound you have a stern voice of authority, though. Seems like you could probably get people to snap, too. Oh, yeah. With little kids, you got to have that. Now, what is it? Now, if you kids start getting, if there's like a ruckus, they start getting uh, rambunctious and playing grab ass, what do you do? Do you, I mean, you can't obviously, like, I'm going to pull this bus over and beat the daylights out of it. You can't say that. So what do you, how do you handle kids? They're getting obnoxious on the bus. I definitely can pull the bus over. Uh, I can't beat their asses, but I can definitely, uh, you know, like speak in a certain voice. That's pretty much all I can do. Now, is this, a, is this a public bus or is it a school bus? This is a school bus. Oh, short okay. bus, nonetheless. Really? You actually do drive the short bus? I do. Now, is this because there aren't that many students, or is this because these are some of God's most precious children? Well, they're definitely precious, but not in that way. Okay, I see. Now, these aren't. The, this isn't like the helmet-wearing set. <laughs> no, not really. All right. So you can pull the bus. Now, if I may ask this, about how old are most of these kids? Well, I've got uh, preschoolers and junior hires, but not oh, at the same God, time. Oh, God, kill so. me. Uh, so do you find that, especially with maybe preschoolers, they don't know that you can't beat their ass, and so you can pull the bus over and just give them, like, the hairy eyeball or whatever, and they do, do they sort of shut up because they'd be like, oh, God, he's going to come back here and pound on us? Well, actually, most of them are nonverbal, so, yeah. Oh, they're not even, they're not really they of the speaking age. They don't wear age. helmets, but they don't talk to me either, so that's not right. much problem with the preschoolers. The best of all the middle schoolers. All right, uh, what did you want to clarify, sir? Uh, with Gigawatts, that was actually from uh, Back to the Future when, uh, right. when they were reading the script. It was uh, it was a mispronunciation of Gigawatts. Oh, so, so. The, so the script is correct, but the pronunciation is wrong. Exactly, so it came out sounding all made up in sci-fi, but really it was based in truth. That's fantastic. See, I like to know stuff. You know what I found out just last night, Tim? You'll appreciate this. All right. Okay. Uh, you know the character of Gomez Adams on the Adams Family? Mm -hmm. Do you know that John Aston picked that name? Because Charles Adams, who created the Adams Family, mm -hmm. said that he in his own mind was unclear about whether Gomez was Castilian or Italian. And he couldn't figure, he said he himself wasn't sure. And he said if he was, uh, if he was of Castilian descent, his name would be Gomez. But if he was Italian, his name was going to be Rapelli. And so he left the decision up to John Aston, who decided that his name was Gomez. So uh, he is Gomez Adams because John Aston made that call. Hmm. So, yeah, I like to know stuff. That is amazing. All right, Gigawatt, Gigawatt Gomez. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right, man. Yankee, bravo. Foxtrot. It's 503-733. Gigawatt. Two nice. Gigawatt. Terawatt. I can't remember the others. Wait, we... Okay. Uh, let's see. What else am I going to hear? Rick, you will want to check with election officials, but having people call in to decide your vote may be voter fraud. Well, that's not true. It's because I'm not because I'm not being deceptive in any way. Mm -hmm. I am not. Uh, I'm not deceiving anybody. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying it's one thing when it's another. 
I mean, it's no different than asking, you know, like whatever, your friends or a loved one, hey, what do you think about this Merkley guy? What about, tell me about the hot dogs. And then they tell you and then, and then you say, F that, I'm voting for him anyway or whatever. Uh, so I don't think that's, I mean, I can check, but, you know, I'm not going to check. Here's Tim Riley. you got other things to do. i got, I got a life to live. Joe Biden says negative ads in the campaign are not working in this election. He took that message to the Tonight Show with Jay Leno last night, saying Americans are worried about things. House, can we figure out how to send a kid back to college? And so I think in that environment, I've never seen as many people uncertain about their circumstance. In that circumstance, I don't think, I think that's the reason why the negative stuff isn't working. That's a whole lot of nothing. Voters in the community west of the Twin Cities may do a double take when they see their ballot. You see, John McCain's on the ballot twice. No, it's not the same person. One John McCain is a fellow running for president, the other a school board hopeful. That's unfortunate. John McCain of rural Delano is running for the spot on the Watertown Mayor School Board. McCain is a civil engineer who owns the Maple Plain Company. He also says he doesn't think there'll be any confusion on Election Day. We'll see about that. More Joe the Plumber, whose real name isn't really Joe, and it is Sam, as we told you yesterday. And others doubted our word. Well, he said he wanted to buy a plumbing company and told Obama that he was worried about the tax consequences if he makes more than $250,000 a year. Joe the Plumber, who's really Sam the Plumber and not really a plumber, said if taxes go up, businesses will suffer. And a lot of times that falls to the employees. you got to get rid of one of them or you have to go down to part-time. Then they don't have benefits. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know it just keeps on sliding downhill. Well, you got to find yourself more customers there, Joe the Plumber. Well, apparently also, this is, uh, I was reading this on Drudge yesterday. I think it was Drudge. This, apparently he also is behind on his taxes. Apparently, apparently he also has a tax lien against him. So... Uh, not really a plumber, or not licensed. Is he anyway. waiting for a handout, which would be socialist? He doesn't. Well, we don't want to spread the wealth around him. No, we don't. That would be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so I guess presumably his name is not really Joe. He's not licensed to be a plumber, and there's a tax lien against him and the federal government. Uh, we also heard that he lives at home with his parents. I'm not sure if that one's actually the case or not. And they were also trying to say he was related to one of the Keating scandal guys, but then it turns out that may just be like an unfortunate like same name, like two two guys with the same name thing, so I don't think that's true. But it, it does appear that Joe the Plumber's not all he's cracked up to be. Did I read you the thing, though, about how... Uh, let's see, where do we go? This is, um... Let's see. Palin is stumping through Ohio. She mentioned Joe the Plumber, talked about him for three minutes, then the crowd began chanting, Joe, 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 and right behind Sarah Palin, signs went up all of the same time they said, Joe Plumber for president. <laughs> Which is great. Those are your Joe. fellow Americans. It's, I mean, seriously. I mean, that's why you can't, you know, that's why you you can't. It's a waste of time to get angry. I mean, just a whole country of genetic defectives on both sides of the aisle. Let's be clear about that, by the way. There's a whole country of nitwits and morons. So, I mean, the idea that we allow people in this country to vote at all, because most of us, and I'm putting myself in here, most of us, it's like you're voting to pick a guy to run a thing you couldn't possibly understand. You know what I mean? It's like asking me, uh, Rick, who do you think is the best guy to repair the flux capacitor? I have no idea. I don't even know how the thing works. How am I supposed to pick the guy who's going to run it? You know? I don't understand the Federal Reserve. I, I only kind of understand parts of the economy. I don't really under... I, I can only vaguely remember how a bill becomes a law, and that's only because of the schoolhouse rock thing. So it's like taking some unbelievably complicated machine... And then asking me to take a big panel of hucksters and shysters and pick out which guy is best qualified to pick the machine. I don't know, and neither do you. And if you say you do, uh, you're lying. So the idea that we just have a whole country of 280 million morons who are allowed to pick uh, some uh, you know, scam artist 
to run this broken system. I mean, it's like so many layers of insanity and uh, incompetence that you just kind of have to wash your, your hands of it and just wash your brain of any sort of emotional investment and just enjoy it for the spectacle that it is, kids. Just sit back, as Hunter Thompson would say, buy the ticket and take the ride. Here's Tim Riley. Well, our country's bigger than it used to be, so it has more morons than, say, the elections of the <laughs> 1960s. Yes. Yes, it does, Tim. Wouldn't you agree with that? I, I would wholeheartedly uh, agree with that that assessment. So I know that there are people who are busy getting themselves all cranked up and getting angry and getting frustrated or embittered. or cross, And I'm here to tell you right now, just you're going to do yourself a big favor if you just quit caring. Because it doesn't... I mean, really, See, the problem is, <laughs> you, you smart people aren't having enough babies. Nope. Therefore, you're already outnumbered by stupid people who are having... Them by the buckets. Well, look, and let me and let me just say this: having them by the buckets. Yes. Is that like having them by the short hairs? Giving them by the gaggle. Oh, I thought you meant having them like, like when a guy I got you right by the buckets, Mister. No. I thought that was a new slang term. No, um, I don't do slang. No, and here and I was talking to to Sarah's hot friend Heather about this the other night when Heather was about nine beers deep and wouldn't wouldn't be quiet. Which is fine with me. I'm just saying she's like some sort of political chatty cat. Why did doll. you serve her nine beers? I didn't do that. She oh. was already drunk. That's my excuse. No, officer. She was like this when I got here. I uh, I don't know. But uh, but Heather's like some political chatty Kathy doll but that pulls her own string. And so she but but it's like every time she has a beer, she pulls her string and goes to something else. You know, pulls the string. <laughs> Line item veto. <laughs> Haymarket riot. <laughs> Federalist papers. You know, which which is great. And I just sit there and go. Wow, I could listen to you talk all night. Uh, so, but she was going on about this, and she made a really great and keep up. She and she is a teacher. She is actually working on her PhD in political science. She teaches at a college that I will not identify. Um, but she made uh, a very, I mean, concise point. She summed it all up when Heather. We were talking about this, and Heather said, "You know, if you are in a position to be your party's candidate for president of the United States." That means that you have engaged in so much graft and bribery and hand greasing the, uh, along the way that you are already just hopelessly compromised. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you get to be the Democratic nominee for president or the Republican nominee for president, the fact that you are topping your party's ticket means that you have already made so many deals with people over the last 10 years that there is no hope of you running anything remotely resembling an honest or upright administration. Uh, you, are gonna, you, you are already so crooked that it's going to take a you know, secret service team to screw on your pants in the morning. So, you know, so that being said, you got to just, uh, you got to just, and this goes for both sides of the political spectrum. By yes. Way. Well, they're basically the same party. Well, seriously, well, I mean, look, here's one small example, lest anybody think that we hew to one side of the political aisle. So everybody's screeching about McCain trying to tie Barack Obama to this Bill Ayers guy, who, let's not delude ourselves, was a domestic terrorist. And anybody who says differently is just lying. I mean, that's that's just a fact. I mean, you can argue about whether or not Barack Obama had any serious dealings with him. I mean, it, you know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I mean, they had they got together in his living room a few times and whatever. And so it's probably not. So they're probably trying to make more of it than it is. I mean, Bill Ayers was a terrorist. There's, there's no avoiding that. And Obama doesn't want to use that word. But Bill Ayers is a terrorist. Everybody can admit that, or they should. And so... You know, but the people on the left are screeching about McCain trying to tie Obama to this Ayers guy. When let's like, can we call it? You you know this is true. You drive through Portland, you see any number of bumper stickers that say George Bush is a terrorist. So if you're going to scream about the McCain campaign using the word terrorist, then you can take off the George Bush is a terrorist bumper sticker, or just admit that you're a hypocrite. So, or just quit caring. You know. So which is where we solidly are right here. Let's do one more, and then we'll take a break. A Las Vegas man is being held without bail after he allegedly attempted to board a plane in Long Island with a pipe bomb. 
Federal prosecutors say 20-year-old Stephen Noble had a, a bag which contained an explosive device which could have detonated on board the Southwest flight to Las Vegas. MacArthur Airport official Teresa Rizzuto says federal officials noticed the 7-inch knife in an X-ray which led to the discovery of these... Under- Here's your problem right here. Went through the, the x-ray machine. Uh, they noticed something that seemed to be um, suspicious, so they decided to take uh, take it off the checkpoint, the x-ray machine, and they did a manual search. And they found fireworks, electrical tape, rounds used in a nail gun to penetrate <laughs> concrete. Jesus. His, his attorney says he is guilty of nothing more than displaying poor judgment. <laughs> See, that's why America's so great. A guy is caught taking incendiary devices and nails. Mm-hmm. That penetrate and, concrete. And the and the attorney and the attorney just goes, Well, I mean, look, uh He had a bad day. I mean, yeah, who among us has bad not day. had that happen to them? Uh as we wrap it up, this email says it all. Rick, did you hear Biden's new three letter word, J O B S? Is anyone qualified in this goddamn election? No, the answer is no, sir. Take a break. Back after this. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Coming up later on, Aaron Duran will be here from FilmFeverRadio.com. We're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, they're doing this cool thing, actually, where they're going around and they're interviewing people, like all kinds of people. I think they interviewed uh, Storm. They interviewed and they did me. They did um, Peter Carlin, somebody else. But they're interviewed about the... about. Uh, did they talk to you, Sarah, about the movie that terrified you the most or the most scary movie yeah, you've ever Aaron, seen? Yeah, I was supposed to meet up with Aaron, and then like things kept getting in the way on the weekend, so it never got it completed. Yeah. Uh, I think they, you know, Craig Gass, I think, was part of it. So uh, he's going to bring a couple of those in today. We'll play them, and then you can hear more at FilmFeverRadio.com. So Aaron Duran coming up later on. Uh, comedian Craig Gass, Mr. Tamako. Uh, we'll be here to talk about the Simpsons commentary that I guess has a reference to this show, which is pretty great. And Lisa Desjardins' top five teenage moping songs. This is Tim. Oh, and by the way, just real quickly, there's several people now have sent me this uh, story about Guns N' Roses, Chinese democracy, blah, blah, blah. I will believe it when it's in my hand. And when I say in my hand, I mean in my hand given to me by maybe somebody at KUFO because I, I won't be buying it. But So apparently there's the cover art that's come out now for Chinese democracy, and they've said now, First, it was going to be at Best Buy on November 23rd. Now they're saying it's going to be November 25th. And, by the way, Axel Rose and the Guns N' Roses website and the record company, none of them have said anything about it or, or confirmed it. It's still just Best Buy saying this. I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm saying uh, I, I will believe it when it's in front of me. Here's Tim Riley. A driver's crash is SUV into a bagel shop in Southwest. This is at Sunrise Bagel on Barnes Road. The driver appeared to crash into the bagel shop and then tried to back up to leave. No bagels were injured. Campaigning in Ohio, uh, Sarah Palin is challenging Barack Obama's financial policies. She's also highlighted a comment from Obama's ready-mate Joe Biden, apparently, that it's something about socialism. Senator 
Obama uh, said that he wants to talking. spread the wealth, and he wants government to take your money and decide how to best redistribute it, according to his priorities. And Joe suggested that that sounded a little bit like socialism. Uh, that's kind of what's been going on for the past couple of weeks here. Uh, haven't they taken $700 billion of my money already? It's not something that we were asked about beforehand. <laughs> I mean, I mean no. she missed this? <laughs> The banks and <laughs> General Motors. I, mean, I know you've been busy, Sarah, but... but when was his speech written in the 1960s? <laughs> According to this file from 2004, Jesus. Yeah, I, I look. I don't, I don't want to. I don't know if you're late to the party or anything, but Jesus. I think we have uh, rampant socialism in this country as we speak. I can, can we? Can I speak for everybody here? Well, let's go around the room. Um, if you could make it so, would you have the election be tomorrow, Sarah? Yes, absolutely. Tim? Yeah, I'm, I'm sick and tired of Me it. Me too. I'm, I mean, I'm yeah, sick of it. There's nothing more that needs to be said about it, really. I mean, that's the thing. And, you know, I mean, we kind of, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit each day because it's sort of because it is a big story. And, there's, you know, and a lot of people follow it the way we do, where it's just, you know, it is, it is, it is very theatrical in a, lot of, in a lot of ways. But I'm just, I'm, I'm done. I think with the final debate being finished, and by the way, the uh, presidential debate from this week with running commentary from Tim Riley, Peter Carlin, and myself, which really was quite something it was uh, it really was it really was it was it was hilarious and i and i typically don't go on about like we are we're hilarious we're the, the best comedy you're ever going to hear it really was exceptionally funny uh so that is up as a podcast right now if you go to 970.am 970.am you can hear the wit of peter carlin i was doing that thing where you stick your fingers in the hole and kind of diddle around the little the thing that hangs inside so along with tim and myself he's doing running commentary but once the, now that now that the final debate is over it's I mean, I don't really. I should have asked Lisa this. Are there any other big sort of benchmark events between here and election night? Yeah. That big chunk of time that Obama bought. Well, they, yeah. There's Obama's infomercial that he's going to run. But I mean, you know, they're, they're going to do in time. Neither of them is going to come back here, probably, right? I, I mean, him to go to the corn maze. Because this is, I mean, we're such a blue state that we're not going to get a visit from anybody. No. So, I mean. We were important, though, for that Barack Obama 80,000 people in the crowd thing. When he was that trying was to, pretty incredible. They're, they're, there won't be another thing like that anywhere, anytime. No, that's, I mean, that's kind of a high watermark, I think, in terms of Oregon's involvement in the, in the certainly the presidential election. So between now and November 4th, there's just, there's really nothing else to amuse me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the bright, shiny objects have all been put back in the drawer until November. So, you know, there's really nothing more to say. So I think if, I think we should have a vote tomorrow on whether to vote tomorrow, because I think about 98% of the country is just ready to go. Except for these jackass undecided people that from now on, I'm going to, from now on with the undecided voters, it's going to be like, uh, you know, it's going to be like, uh, you know, the Indians seeing the ships and deciding they're not there because they don't make any sense. I'm just going to disregard the undecided voters and shun them and expunge them from my brain as of now. Here's Tim Riley. Well, get out your checkbook, America. You owe Wall Street and AIG $8,749 and change. That's a bailout time for each and every household in America. They've calculated a few uh, previous bailouts in recent history and found it's more than twice what Americans paid to clean up the savings and loan mess in 89. Back then, households were as little as, oh, a little over $3,100 apiece. Uh, help save them. In 2001, loans to struggling airlines were bargaining at $171 and change. So uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, they tabulate household shares using the $700 billion guesstimate of the bank rescue plan, socialism, uh, plus uh, federal loans to insurance giant AIG. That tops 122 billion combined. So what? Are, so what is the deal now? Are the so is the government going to have ownership or partial ownership of banks? Is that the thing they're talking yeah. about doing? Mm-hmm. 
So because before, now what was the difference before? They they were independent institutions, but the government guaranteed the savings. They guaranteed the savings and had some rules and regulations. Apparently, very few rules and regulations well, on I mean, how to operate. They've always been, you know, private piggy banks with yeah. special interests that we don't know. About. But so now the government is actually going to own a stake in banks. Yes. Well, it'll be convenient. All the sign has to say is bank. <laughs> It would be much easier to find. Um, that really does seem like socialism, though. If the government and the banks, I mean, which is, I'm not saying it's necessarily even a bad idea. It's not like the banks themselves are doing like a bang-up job of running things when they were, uh, you know, when they were privately owned. You know, in their cheap two-customer appreciation day, some Tootsie Pop for adults? I mean, seriously. Oh, by the way, speaking of, you know, yesterday was Boss's Day. So apparently everybody out there, if you, if oh, you I didn't know that. failed it, I didn't know it either. I, tr- I treat you well every day. I didn't know. Well, Tim... Now let's. You know, I'm. I may. I may be a man, Tim, but I'm not the man. You know that that's true. Uh, yes, but you're the most powerful person at the station. Under Les Moonves, he trusts your judgment. <laughs> it, that's how it goes, the man actually. The truth, Rick Emerson. It just that, goes, that's the way the pie chart goes. It goes right from Les Moonves mm-hmm. to me. Yes. And then, and then from me to Richie. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then there, uh, there are two 500 foot towers on a mountainside there that you're responsible <laughs> for. <laughs> Fools. Uh, so I didn't even know that it was Boss's Day until I walked into uh, until I walked into Susan's office and like she had been given a bunch of you know like stuff from you know the, the folks that sort of you know, work for her and uh, but then of course but see and I hadn't even really thought about you I hadn't even really thought about you, you all like acknowledging it which of course you know you didn't do it which I would not expect you to do well uh, we didn't know really if you we would have known we still wouldn't have done it well, that's what I'm saying if you guys ever acknowledged Boss's Day in any way that I would be weird no I would think something was up I'd be like all right what what is like, wh- have I been fired. Is this a parting gift? Did one of you oh, no, we didn't hit my car in the parking lot? I wouldn't you immediately be suspicious, mm. you know? Yes, so. but we usually get fired together. That's, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, Tim. We've been bonded that's through true. adversity. Yeah, I guess I've got to know that if you're going out, we're going out, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, no, that's... Let me tell <laughs> you. That happened before. Yeah. yeah. I was I was going to say, you know, I don't want to... Well, can I say this? And, of course, then karma will prove me wrong. I was going to say, if they ever get to the point where they're... If, if they ever get to the point where they're getting rid of one of us, they're getting rid of all of us. They're... They're not going to be, there will be no piecemeal here. It's not going to, that, that's going to be an all or nothing situation, I think, from, uh, from CBS. Well, it's when you eradicate the anthill, you get all the ants. You go for the queen first, Tim, and I'm the queen. You know okay. what I mean. Uh, I don't even know where I was going with this. Oh, but Richie either. was. <laughs> that, we thought Richie was. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Hi, you're on the Rick Everson Show. Hello. Is it me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Happy Boston Day. Uh, hello, hello. Yeah. Rick, great show, everybody. Um, I wanted to suggest a book for you. I know you're a big reader. Is this and, book um, is this book going to be the creature from Jekyll Island? Yes, it is. How did I know? You know, here's how I know because I was just talking about the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I called. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a jerk. I'm just saying every time I every time anybody on talk radio mentions the Federal Reserve. Someone uh, then calls up and suggests the creature from Jekyll Island, which my friend Todd read and raved about, and which I kind of meant to read, uh, meant to read, and, and I never did. It sort of got away from me. Wow. Well, I, uh, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that anybody knew about that book besides me. I got it in kind of conspiratorial circles, so I didn't even know if it would be available at Powell's or anywhere else. Yes. Um, but you know, it was probably the first 700, 800 page book I read, and I thought uh, possibly Clyde would be a good. Uh, I think you've got a hot pocket that's ready in the background. Yeah, actually, I do, but it's actually not that. Uh, it's a uh, highly embarrassing uh, thing I need to blow into my car to start it <laughs> because of a DUI. So really, yeah. Now, if really, you don't, uh, irritating. If you don't mind me asking this, now, how does it? Where is that tube located? Under my dash. Hold on a second. You can hear what the heck I'm going to do. It's All right. Highly ridiculous. <laughs>
familiar with those things. I had never heard of them as well until I'd seen, uh, what was it, 40-year-old virgin, and the girl in the car is doing it. Right. I'd never seen one before, and here it is. I had to have one because uh, the law changed. Now, uh, now, if you don't mind me asking, sir, now, is this yeah. like a, a, a second offense deal? How many offenses? One. This really? Is the first offense, and apparently they made it so it would be a six-month duration for this thing, and then um, the law changed retroactively. So even though it was my first offense, it now is a year, so I have to have it on for a year. Now, highly it, embarrassing. Do you have to pay for the installation and yes. removal? Sixty bucks every month. Sixty dollars wow. a month. Is that wow. seven? In addition to everything that would happen with the DUI and attorneys and uh, you know group counseling right. and all that other. $720 on top of, I mean, I don't even, I can't even imagine what the lawyer's fees are. And then, of course, now is there a, uh, is there a fee that, you know, that a fine that comes along with that, you know, in addition to the, 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 the breathalyzer thing and everything? Uh, what do you mean the fine? In other words, if they say, like, look, we're going to give you probation and this thing in your car. Oh, and then also there's like a $5,000 fine. You don't have to tell me how much if you don't want. But, I mean, is there also um, the court yeah, fines you? Well, there's, um... Let's see, there's the attorney's fees, which you don't have to pay if you don't get an attorney. Right. Uh, and then, um, uh, yes, I was fined up the wazoo, and then I had uh, community service and and all of that. I don't recall how much the fine was, but I could tell you I have probably spent at least five grand on this. Damn. Uh, and so you got to, uh, you know, you got to, is this to start the car or do you have to do it every couple hours? How, how does I'll, the little tube work? You. Um, you have to do it to start the vehicle. Right. Within 10 minutes after that, it goes off again and you have to do it again within 10 minutes so they make sure no, somebody's uh, getting somebody else to start the vehicle for you. Right. What if you're on and the freeway? After, what was that? What, what if, if, you're, yeah, what if you're driving on the freeway? I, you do it while driving. It's under the dash and it beeps. It's on a little, uh, you know, the coiled old-style phone cords. Right. And uh, you pull it out, and you have to do it in just such a way, you know, and my wife gets in the vehicle, and she freaks out, and it doesn't happen her abort, you know. And if you do it wrong too many times, and uh, it, uh, and the first time I started doing it, it, it really was kind of freaking me out because you have to not just blow into it, but you have to blow into it for a certain duration, for a certain uh, amount of pressure, and not too much pressure, that mind you, and you have to hum because it's the only way that the machine knows that you are a human being. That it's a person and not an air pump. That it is not one of the various – it's all full of tamper-resistant issues. I'm so glad I was able to call you about the Federal Reserve today, Rick. Yes. I, uh, it's, that's, I'm picking up on your sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> one final question. So yes. does, does it anybody who drives that car has to do it, or is it yes. just you? So it's hooked right into the relay system of the vehicle, so what happens is if you aren't doing something right, it beeps, and it beeps longer, then it beeps forever, wow. and then it starts honking the horn of the vehicle, and that happened while I was driving down the road because I wasn't doing it right, right. and I'm pulling over, I'm freaking out, and I'm pulling the keys out, and I'm stopping it, and it's still honking even though I got the keys out of the car, and I've locked it and walked away. And, and you know, uh, that's crazy. It, stressful it, it seems like it's a matter of time before somebody gets into an accident because they're going down the freeway 50 miles an hour trying to keep up with traffic and they're blowing into a tube and then they go into the side of a bus. Uh huh. Wow. All right. I didn't uh, hear about it. Creature from Jekyll Island. I will put it on. Uh, I don't have. There's no like book queue or something. And I. But I'll, I'll look at Powell's and see if they stock it. So. Uh, all right. Well, it was, I found it very uh, educational because you know I didn't know anything about the Federal Reserve. I didn't. And it's a historical perspective, and it's written in such a way 
uh, on one side historical and then on the other side as kind of a mystery as to, you know, who are these mysterious men, you know, getting right. together in the train late at night to uh, go out to a private island off of the coast of South Carolina or something like that, you know, owned by J.P. Morgan, who incidentally... Uh, is the one who's, you know, I mean, not that he's still alive, but I mean, his uh, financial institutions are the ones that are reaping all the benefits of the stuff that's going on today, you know. He's buying up, uh, you know, that, those companies are the ones that are buying up everything else. And it's, um, it, what I found really unique about the um, the book and just the whole area of uh, information is that, uh, you know, because I've been looking at it from, what, you know, Christian perspective or, uh, you know, spiritual perspective, because everything's got a, a bias, right? All well, of the information's I, biased. I choose to believe that the stonecutters are uh, are behind all of this. So, uh, so, I, all right. You know, they're, they're there, too. All right. But, um, hey, the, I, we we got we to run here in a second. So, um, but Creed from Jekyll Island, I will read it, if only to satisfy you and my friend Todd, who also keeps nagging me about it's it. It's all so. coming true, babe. I'm, right. That's what I'm telling you. It's all I, coming true. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. Thank you. That is Dave. I know. That was that was interesting, wasn't it? It really was. Uh, so that's that's. I think he's the first person I know who's ever had one of those installed. This guy named Adam I went to high school with had one of those. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I mean, you know, and uh, you know, obviously, you know, you shouldn't drive drunk. And so, well, you know, you drive drunk, you get, you know, you get what you get, and mm-hmm. you know, that's just, you know, shouldn't do it. And then, you, you were convicted of. Yeah, you're convicted of a crime, and the the man gives you the punishment, you serve it out. But at the same time, that's that is sort of it is kind of that's a hairy system there, especially if. Especially if it anybody who drives the car, and that that we that thing about blowing into the tube when you after the car is starting, you're driving. That just seems like. What a if lo- you had somebody else do it? Somebody's wife is in the car also. Well, because I she, she could like put her head under the dashboard. I think well, that's what happens in Forty Year Old Virgin, uh, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Where he's driving and she's blowing into the thing. So uh, I think they probably just f you really hard if you get caught doing that. I mean, if you, I mean, he said it was the first offense, and again, you know, drunk driving is crime, and you shouldn't do it, and all that. So that's a first offense. And they hit him with, he said he ended up paying five grand, and he's got this thing for a year, and community service. I can't even imagine what they would do to you if they caught you uh, sort of gaming the system and having somebody else, like, start your car for you. I mean, that's, they probably would stick you in, stick you in jail for that. That's, uh, I would, that's probably an imprisonable offense. All right. Interesting. You learn something every day here on the Rick Emerson Show on KCMD Portland. That's something they sell on the back page of some tabloid somewhere. Something to outwit that. Well, it, I mean, it's interesting that they have the, where you have to hum as you're like, mm, you know. Insert joke here. But you have to hum as you're doing it because otherwise it could be like your bicycle pump or it could be, you know, whatever. You could just have like a little a little air compressor like you blow up your, uh, your camping mattress in and you could be using that. And the interesting thing about that is for every layer of, you know, what is this, for verification or every layer of, of sort of, you know, tamper-proofing it, that indicates that they had to install that layer because somebody had found out a way to beat it. So somebody will, you know, eventually find a way to scam this one, and then they'll do something. I mean, it will probably get to the point, I would imagine, I mean, I'm, you know, and I'm not some conspiracy guy, but I mean, you know, it's just, it is science and the government working together. I'd imagine it'll get to a point where you'll have to have a patch on your arm that will just analyze your perspiration to see if you've been drinking, because they, oh, they already have that. Yeah, they already have that, like the ankle yeah. bracelet, how it can, like Tracy Morgan had to have one of them. Right, uh, to make sure that he wasn't boozing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it... I would imagine that it's not too much of a stretch to get one of those bracelets or one of those patches that measures your perspiration for drugs and alcohol and then have it hooked into the ignition system of your car. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And then, of course, the next step is somebody will have the patch on their wife in the passenger seat while they're driving. And so then they will have to have some sort of DNA comparison hooked into it. I mean, you can already see. And again, I'm not like a paranoid delusional. I'm sure they're already one step ahead of you and ready for that. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's. 
it's not even really paranoia. It just sort of is the way the government works. Uh, you know, the, the government does something, and a guy finds a way to beat the system, and so the government updates the system. That's just, I mean, you, you realize this, you'll see this referenced occasionally in things like Mad Men, where, I mean, in the 60s, you, your driver's license didn't even have your picture on it, yeah. which is just insane. Yeah. Who are you? Uh, my name is uh, Cynthia Morgenstern. Really? You look like a guy. No, I'm Cynthia Morgenstern, because your driver's license had no photograph. So when did they start putting pictures on driver's licenses? Anybody know? I don't know. I mean, was that a technological thing? Were they not able to do it? I mean, they had photos. Look, they, they had, had paper. They, they had, had pictures. Why couldn't Polaroid. they put pictures on paper? So they and so that's the interesting thing is they had Polaroid and they had paper and by that point they had the Xerox machine too so they could actually you know make it all into one document. So the fact that they didn't have your picture on your driver's license in the 60s wasn't because they didn't have the technology. It's because they didn't see the need to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that, in retrospect, seems dumb. But I guess at the time they thought, well, why would we possibly need someone's photo on their driver's license? It's like, you're Richard Bristol, why you're dressed like a woman? (laughs) Possibly be. (laughs) It's sort of like metal detectors at airports now, which we just take for granted. And, I mean, there was also a time when you could just walk up, I think, without any ID and buy an airplane ticket. Like, in fact, not too long ago in the 80s, you watched that movie Airplane uh, with Robert Hayes, where he... Why, and this is, you know, obviously just either it's a comedy, but it's exactly how it works. You could run into an airport, you could walk up to like the Delta counter, and go, I need one ticket to Chicago, no baggage, and then she'd say, okay, well the flight leaves in ten minutes, so we'll get you done, and it'll be fifty dollars. You hand her fifty bucks, your ticket, you run out, you get on the plane. I mean, that's not too ter- that's not too terribly long ago in this country. Mm-hmm. They, they still make it kind of easy with the instant check-in, though. Because all you need is your name and your itinerary number to put into one of those machines, and it does spit out a boarding pass. There's I thought you things. had to have, but you had to have. A, I thought you'd have a credit card. No, on the you talking about the e-ticket thing? Yeah, no, I wasn't asking my credit card twice. I wasn't either when I was coming back mm-hmm. from New York. Going, I just like I just typed in my last name and that's it. Uh-huh. So all you needed was your itinerary number and my last name. And I didn't even have my itinerary number. Yeah, I, I don't lost think it. You need it. Yeah. yeah, I just they typed make it in easy for you. Well, that's the first letters of my last name, and then all of a sudden it, it pops up and. Uh, well, I guess maybe and they, all these fools are standing in line for the same thing. Oh, they're idiots. Uh, no, they're, they're, they're don't you feel? Con- Let me ask you this. Here's a question. I'm gonna pull up my chair as I sometimes do. Uh, later on, by the way, Craig Gas will join us in the studio. Also, Aaron Duran. Also, Mr. Tamako. Also, Lisa Desjardins. Top five. <sighs> do you feel uh, contempt for people who? are standing in line to talk to a person when you're at a machine, or are you secretly glad they're doing it because then there's no line for the machine? Secretly glad. Secretly glad. Me too. And, and you know, that people aren't that smart. No, they're dumb. And you you find most of them in public places like post offices and airports. Right. And those are the places where they have kiosks where you no longer have to, to speak to people. Mm-hmm. And I and Lauren and I will, like, will go to the movies sometimes, and there's a popular theater chain that has a little kiosk, and it looks like an ATM, which is maybe why people don't realize that it's a ticket-giving machine, because it looks like a thing that would, you know, you go for cash. And you just go up, and you stick in your credit card, and you're like, hey, two for Wally, 315 showing, please, and it spits the tickets out, and then you are done in like 30 seconds, and you don't have to talk to some mouth-breathing teenager behind the glass. If only they could do it. Most rental car places have it, except the place I went to at uh, LAX with Hertz. Right. When they try to sell you all the extra things, no, no, no. A machine no, can't no. upsell you as effectively as a human, Tim. Right. And I said, I have American Express. It covers everything. You know that. I know that. Right. But you go to the bank, same thing. You, or not the bank, but the, if you go to the, the post office, you can get your stamps. You can do deposits. You can, uh, you know, at the bank, you can do whatever. So between, so the post office and banks have both automated this. But you'll go there, and there's just a line of morons. All the way at the back. But, so, I, but, but I do make sure if I'm, if I'm making a deposit, I do 
see a living human being. I never deposit into the machine. Just I, in case they run out of receipts and you, you make a large deposit into it. Right. Bad news. No, I never, ever do that. I mean, and that's a thing. I know that there's uh, someone on the program who has resisted direct deposit for a long time because they like to have the check in their hand. Mm-hmm. I think I'm right about that. No, no, I just keep forgetting to bring a check. Who was it? Maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of Richie. Then. No, I totally would love direct deposit, but I have to bring a voided check, and then every time in the morning I always forget, and then so I have to rush to the bank and hope I beat my you know landlord before cashing my rent check right. that I make it into the bank. And you should beat the landlord afterward. Mm-hmm. Nah, uh, but um, I must be thinking of somebody else. There was somebody here. I forgot who it was now. Then who who said that they didn't like direct deposit because they said it was. They knew that it was safe. They knew that it worked intellectually, but just emotionally, they needed check in the hand. They had, they wanted to see the check. And I was, you know, and I, and I kind of made fun of them. I'm like, come on, you know, just, you know, it, direct deposit works. It's, it's not a scam. They're not going to take your money. I've used that for years. Yeah, you can always check. But you know, but here's the thing. My same, my equivalent to that, my weakness there is that I will not deposit money into an ATM. I just won't. And I'm sure that it's probably safe. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that it doesn't go wrong. But there's something in me that will not let me just stick money into a robot outside of the bank. And the other thing is, a lot of these banks, I know the Washington Mutual downtown has it. Put your deposit in this little wooden box. And somebody will, somebody <laughs> can walk in and grab that little wooden box. Where is that at? Washington Mutual downtown, a Pioneer Courthouse. There's a little wooden box where you can leave your deposits, and they say it'll be credited by 5 o'clock. Are you crazy? You're making that up. No, it's there. I mean, they're one of our proud sponsors, and we're glad to have them, but that seems... Are you... Let me ask you this, Tim. Yes. I hate to impugn your intellect. Are you sure that you're not looking at a box for something else, like a donations for the poor box? No, 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 no. Deposit, which will be credited to your account. Deposits only. A wooden box? A wooden box. Now, don't everybody run down there and grab that wooden box and run out. No, in fact, not everybody. Don't do that. No one do that at no, all. Nobody do that. But just, just to wrap it up, back in your point about the airport. So if you can get your boarding pass with just the name and uh, the itinerary number, yeah. they must just assume though that it doesn't matter because they can get you at the gate with your ID. Oh, that's true. Because I mean, when you got when you go to the the gate or the, not even the, whatever the, the terminal or whatever that is, we you know when you go through. That's true. Cause they don't let you anywhere yeah. without comparing your ID to. Yeah, and there's some true. some cow from TSA who's just sitting there like like scanning your thing or whatever and like using that with that funky purple pen mm-hmm. on it. Uh, and I think they do that depending on the airline. I think they actually check your ID again as you're getting ready to board the plane. No. Well, I have been asked. I've been asked for my ID at the gate as I am. You know, when she's going, and thank you for flying, and enjoy your flight. As you're getting on the plane, I've been asked for my ID at that point. So maybe I've been profiled, or maybe they do it randomly. Um, You know what I've never seen, though? Here's something I've never seen. I've never seen anybody get yanked out of line and given, like, the the extra once over in a back room or behind the screen or whatever. You always hear that they do it, that they'll pick, like, every ninth person out of line and go through all their crap and give them, like, the rubber glove out back. I've never seen that happen to anybody. Is person, that re- yeah, a person that I dated and traveled with wore a necklace that you couldn't take off uh-huh. around his neck and every time would be pulled off. And everything searched through and everything, and it's just like, well, it doesn't come off, and, you know, you can keep putting the metal detector over it, but this is welded. Can I tell you that? I've, I tell you this about that, that I have actually – I take now perverse pleasure in just telling them that certain things don't come off. Mm-hmm. Like, even if they do, I'm going to tell you right now, I lie. Because, you know, I have uh, rings and bracelets and, you know, whatever. And the guy will go, uh, you need to take those off. And I just go, eh, they don't come off. Sorry. And I'll just and I'll just stare at him. Because it's like, because he can't, I mean, it's not illegal. He can't make me take it off if it doesn't come off. And let's be honest, you and I know that taking off your jewelry is stupid anyway. It's stupid and it's pointless and it's a waste of everybody's time. And it's just there to give idiots the illusion of safety. Um, 
Especially because, as I've noted before, none of my jewelry goes off. I walk through the thing, and none of it sets off the metal detector. So I'm just saying this intellectually. This is simply a statement of scientific fact. Whatever this metal is that all my jewelry is made out of, I could make a big ass knife out of this and put it in my, uh, you know, put it in the back of my pants, and it, like it would never set anything off. So I, I it would never, it wouldn't set off the metal detector at all because apparently this kind of metal is just fine. So, but they'll tell me, they'll go, sir, you need to take off your bracelets and your rings. And I'm saying, no, I'm sorry, they don't come off. And then I just give them the, I just look at him and I just stay completely silent and give him the big, innocent, blank look. You know, like, all right, minimum, minimum wage with a gun. You know, you figure out the next step, jackass. So, I, I have no problem admitting that I try to make their life difficult at every turn. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. Uh... Oh, and it's Timmy Ryan who won't, who won't the, the deposit into the ATM. So, hmm. hello, hi, yes. Hello. Hello, hi. Hey. Hey. Um... I have a thing about your breathalyzer. Um, one night I was walking to buy a pack of cigarettes, and um, someone with a breathalyzer system asked me to blow in their car. Wait, so you were so you were walking in the street? And there was a guy in the car who had one of those? No, a girl. A girl, and she said, "Hey, will you will you start my will car you for me?" Will you blow in my system? And I blew in it. <laughs> if you blew in blow in her system, sir, you could really cause some some problems. I want to tell you that. Well. Yeah, I, I locked up her car for the whole night. Wait, so you? What do you mean? You blew into it and it was. Oh, but you had you been drinking? Yeah, I'd been oh, drinking. Oh, that's great! I missed that somehow. She just asked me to blow into the thing, and I, I locked up her car. Did this happen on 82nd by any chance? Sir, was this on 82nd Avenue when this occurred? Um, you were in Southeast Portland, almost certainly, right? No, I was on Inaloa. You were where? In Aloha. Ah, okay, oh. all right. Uh, well, okay, so you know you probably did her a favor then, because she was going to drunk drive probably, or she wouldn't have asked you to do it. So, sir, yeah. you may have saved a life. Well, I probably did, but that, just like be careful what you ask for is the uh, theme, right? It is. Have we been doing any drinking today, sir? Um, maybe. Uh, what what are we drinking? Um, the beast. What what is that? Milwaukee's best. Oh, there I see. you go. Uh, how many how many deep are we? There's uh, on it. Yeah, how many how many deep are we here in the afternoon? Um, about six into it. All right. The beer sounds quite refreshing right now, actually. Well, too bad you can't drink. Tim and I could drink right now if we wanted to. I know it's true. Tim and I could crack open a frosty one right now, Sarah. All right. Well, enjoy your drinking, sir. Take up on it. All right. Have Take a good day. day. All right. Thank Bye. you. All right. But on this program, we prefer the Viso. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hey, Rick. Hey, what's up? Hey, I've got a story about having been pulled out of line at the airport and, okay. and scanned separately. Basically, we had to be reticketed on another airline that day. So, right. you know, I guess terrorists buy their tickets the same day or something. And <laughs> Is that like that day at the stadium? It was terrorist day at the uh, ticket guess, place? I don't know. But they, because we had to be reticketed because they messed up our tickets and they didn't have any other flights going out, they ticketed us on another airline. Went through security. They pulled us out as soon as they saw our tickets. They did, like, uh, the wand thing, and then they made a stand in this thing that blew on us. Right. Like, from underneath. And then the guys made, like, really weird small talk, I guess, to see what we would say. I hey, think where are you going? they have that at PDX, right? They have uh, they have a thing you walk through, and it blows air all over you. Like yeah, Marilyn Monroe? Have you seen it? And, I, and look, and I, and I have to say this. Uh, uh, the 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 only time I've really ever seen it being used, because usually there's just a bunch of guys standing there, and they're just doing nothing. I think... The, the, the last time I went through, and it was in use, uh, I will say, is there a big spider in front spider. of you? I'd kill it right now. 
You know the thing about that spider, Sarah? That was a scout sent to see if it was safe. Oh, it now you probably safe. well, you forestalled the invasion by a little bit. But I, I really have to say this. I would say this. Uh, that this it was true. I was at the airport and I saw that box being used that blows all over you, and it did appear to be an entire family of Arab descent. Uh, they were a, of Middle Eastern descent in some way. Um, and I mean, it's just one of those things where. It, I mean, I was going to say, you. I guess, you know, you almost wouldn't want to do it because you don't want to look like the, the profiling jackasses that you are. But then you realize, well, it's the airport security guys. They can't be fired. You complain. <laughs> nothing's going to be done. They can do, they can, they can, they can profile and generalize and make broad sweeping assumptions about, uh, you know, about cultures and peoples and races all they want, you know, because they got a job for life. There's nothing's yeah. ever going to be done. So, all right. We definitely weren't profiled. We're so white. We're almost transparent. But... Well, that was my thing is I thought maybe I became, I was somehow uh, so unbelievably white that I then again became threatening to the man. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. There you go. Uh, let's do a couple more. Uh, we'll do some headlines. Craig Gass will join us here in a uh, short while. Later on, Aaron Duran, Lisa Desjardins with her top five and more. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Oh, you? Hey, yeah, this is Thomas. Uh, I'm the guy that's standing in the line waiting to actually talk to the person when it comes to uh, at the airport because I'm a foreign citizen, so every time I fly, I can't use those little kiosk things. So... Yeah. Every time I fly, I have to stand in the line, and then after we go through security, you know how they pull people out? I'm always the person that they pull out. I've never been on a flight in the United States where I wasn't pulled out, told to take my shoes off, have them x-rayed and search for bombs, and then stand up and have the, the wand waved over my... Do you ever think about just going like a good three, four weeks without bathing? You know what I mean? Just get yourself just as scummy and just disgusting as you possibly can. Just try to make it unpleasant for them if it's going to be unpleasant for you. I have, I have actually thought about it. I that. would absolutely do that. I mean, really, I would just get like, I would take my socks and I would bury them outside in a compost heap for about three years. And then I would only put them on when I was going to be going to the airport. You know, I'd say, I'm sorry. Oh, and I've got all this. I'm sorry. And if you see a, I'm having, if you see a rash down there, they tell me it's really contagious. I'm sorry. You'll have to, uh, your fault. Sorry. Well, yeah. the, the thing that really sucked is one, when I came to America the first time, while I was in the air, that's when, you know, that, that moron that had the, the bomb in his shoe or something like that, and he tried to set it. Yeah, the, the shoe bomber guy, yeah. Yeah, the shoe bomber. That happened while I was in the air, and I was wearing my work boots, which are steel-toed, um, you know, big, tied-up boots. So when I get to America, suddenly the, the new thing is everyone has to take their shoes off. We are the land of liberty, sir. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I, it was it was very intimidating when I got to America because it was reasonably, you know, close to 9-11 just afterwards. Right. And there was, like, people with machine guns walking around in military outfits. I can come find out later that those machine guns weren't loaded, so I guess it's not quite <laughs> intimidating. That's... So that's great. So we're both so we're both intimidating and uh, impotent. That's wonderful. Yeah, there All right. you go. Well, on be on behalf of a well-armed and crazy nation, I would like to apologize, sir. No, no, you're you're, you're off forgiven. All you're right. Forgiven. Thank you for All listening. Right. All right. Thank you. There you go. I, I mean, can, can you imagine those machine gunners having to shoot into the crowd? Airports will be lined with lawyers within a week. That's a good question, actually. How do you shoot into the crowd? So none of so are none of those guns loaded then? Probably not. I would imagine. That's an interesting thing. So are the airport guns loaded? Because you have a really good point, Tim. Airports are congested. There's a lot of people there. Yeah. How do you shoot into a crowd at an airport and hit anybody? Well, you'd hit everybody. Everybody. That is the point. <laughs> I don't think hitting anybody would be the problem. Remember the Russians did something like that uh, not too long. Some terrorists took over a school, 
It was an auditorium full of kids. So they rush in with machine guns, start shooting away, and they kill most of the kids. Well, it only hit a couple of terrorists. I think maybe there are other countries. Look at the beginning of Team America. Totally. I think there are other countries where maybe uh, collateral damage is less of an issue. Well, that's true. Where you can't, you know, you can't make an omelet without the without killing some eggs. I think. Um, but you're, you're right, though. And Ira, and we'll get Steve Kastenbaum here in just a second. Um, a little bit of a, a little bit of a crazy day here. So we'll uh, Steve Kastenbaum some more headlines. Then Craig Gas. Then uh, we have Lisa Desjardins, Aaron Duran. Big big day. Oh, Mr. Tamako coming in. So, but that's an interesting question. Because I remember right after 9/11, I had to fly somewhere. I forget where. And going to the PDX, and it, it seems to me that I remember security guards at PDX with full-on Uzis. Now, maybe I'm making that more fantastic in my memory than it really is. Maybe no, that wasn't... It may have been. I don't remember back then. I might be exaggerating that in my memory, but I seem to remember guys with full-on machine guns for the first, like, six months after 9-11. And that's a really good point. Was there anything in those guns? Because if some guy pulls out a knife and you have to take him dead, you're, one of those guns, you're going to spray the whole crowd. Right. That's fascinating. We should just spread the rumor that nobody at, 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 at the I mean, Portland Airport has any ammunition at all. Say an incident occurs, all right, even if you're well-trained, so you grab your machine gun and, and start shooting, and you, I mean, you knock off half the crowd? And if I am remembering correctly, and it was a machine gun, that seems like a really poor choice of weaponry if it was, in other words, if it wasn't just for looks. If it was empty, then that is weird on a whole different level. But at least, okay, you're not going to do that. Who makes the who makes the call to and, do it? And if it's going to be, if it is something that you are theoretically going to be using, in other words, they want to give you a gun. Hopefully, you don't have to use it, but maybe you would. Then you would want to have the right tool for the job. But a machine gun holds more ammo than other guns, right? So maybe if they have to take care of a situation, they want something that has more. Bullets. Well, it does, but it also goes through it really quickly, like like that. I mean, I look, but, I will tell you, you need somebody with lots of experience, like an Israeli. Get some Israelis; they wouldn't miss anybody. I have to tell you, I, I have fired a fully automatic. Uzi, and you're done with the ammunition there in about four seconds. I mean, that's especially if you kind of get excited, if you're amped up and you're holding that trigger, that Uzi's empty. In like, on a fairly honest on, had me fire a fully automatic Uzi, and yeah, you are out of ammunition like immediately. So it seems like you would want to have a pistol because you're not going to have 500 guys in the airport that only taken down, it's going to be a small handful of folks. So you wouldn't want a machine gun, you want maybe a gun that has a lot of ammunition but is single fire. I say all this just based on my knowledge of playing and Halo. How do they train such a uh, big batch of people to be able to execute this in all the nation's airports and have them ready to go in such a short period of time? They don't. They get rent a cops and give them fake guns. I think we figured this out. I'm convinced. Uh, you know what? Just here in this room, we figured it out. Like we figured it out like numbers or CSI style. You right know, somebody here. Somebody from uh, Homeland Security is going to be calling like any second. Like I'm not already in a file with those guys. Whatever. Uh, there was what? There was one aboard a TriMet bus this morning. Somebody from Homeland Security? Yeah. One of those guys at the airport? Well, Homeland the... Security is just the scariest sounding phrase. That's the right place to be anyway. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you? I am fantastic. How's your day? How's life? I'm doing good. You know, I know we, I come on and talk about whatever stories I'm com- uh, covering yeah. uh, you know, during the day. But today, uh, can we talk about something that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm covering? Because I have nobody else to talk to about this. Uh, okay, sure. Bring it. it is a blank slate. You have carte blanche. You have a tabula rasa, sir. Go this ahead. Is the, this is the only show where I think I can do this, actually. You know, uh, because uh, this show is free from the man's rules and regulations of discussion, sir. It, it is. Um, did you see the uh, announcement uh, from CNN that comedian D.L. Hughley is going to have a show on CNN? I saw one of those advertisements last night while I was watching AC360. I did. It's called yeah. Bre- uh, Breaking the News with D.L. Hughley, right? 
Yeah, he's going to have a, a David Letterman, Jay Leno type show on Saturday nights where he's uh, sort of dissecting the, new, the news with a humorous approach, right. like some guests and whatnot. Well, he moved into an office right next to my studio. Here, hey, right the radio booth. That's pretty cool. So I'm palling around with D.L. Hughley. Excellent. Now he will he now be the uh, most famous name in your cell phone? <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. Who is the most famous name in your cell phone right now? Oh, geez. Uh, I don't think I have one. Oh, that's everybody has one famous name in their cell phone. Do I have a famous name in my cell phone? I mean, it would it would be like locally famous, like a reporter at the uh, the all news radio station here wow. that every that everybody knows. So you don't have like uh, I'm trying to think. It wouldn't be Ted Turner at this point. I'm trying to think. You don't have like uh, Wolf Blitzer. You have Wolf Blitzer's cell phone number? Nah. You know what? I do have a a friend of mine, a lifelong friend from high school, is a working actor, but he's not not so famous right now anymore. But he was in a bunch of. Uh, uh, Spike Lee movies uh, like uh, The Summer of Sam, and he was in uh, that 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 show on uh, Fox called The Heights that debuted the same year that uh, Melrose Place did. But you had um, a friend who was on The Heights? Yes, the the drummer Ken Garrido is his is his real name. I loved that show. It was the worst best show ever. The Heights is a little bit of a fetish object for us on this program. Are yeah, you we, serious? Yeah, yeah. We, every excuse that we have to play, how do you talk to an angel? We take it. Yeah, we roll that song out like about every three weeks. Oh, well, then there's my most famous uh, person in my cell phone. Ken Garrido played Dizzy, the drummer. He's a lifelong friend of mine. Excellent. All right. Ken Garrido? Ken Garrido with a G. Uh, he's from good old Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. I think yeah. you have to say it. Bensonhurst! He's from Bensonhurst. All right. Uh, yeah. So, but... yeah, so D.L. Hughley is uh, is my um, my office mate now, I guess. All right. You got to, uh, I hate to I hate to be this guy, you got to get us the hookup with him at some point. Uh, you know, I'll try and get him on the radio. He, uh, I'll see what it's like. I, I got to I only met him a few days ago, but uh, you know they're they're sitting around right outside my window right now in in a huddle with that chart that you see. You know, you know how they always show it in TV sitcoms when they're working on a show and mapping it out. You know, and right? They, they put a little stick, uh, stick it, and, and it's either post-it notes or it's like magnetic notes on a blackboard that they're moving well, around. Well, they really do it that way. It's re it's realistic. It's it's post-it notes. Interesting. And so it's going to be and it's going to be once a week on Saturday nights. You said on Saturday nights. Yes. Excellent. And the press release said it'll be like a. More like a David Letterman, Jay Leno show than a John Stewart. Show. I gotta tell you, I, I dig that guy. I think he's uh, he's funny, and he has kind of a, he has a very sharp way of skewering things. I dig I dig the way he kind of views the world. His uh, he's got some jokes that have real I mean they got they got real punch to him, real sting to him. So yeah. all right, excellent. Um, well, you know that's more interesting than talking about the stupid economy at this point, anyway. Um, you know, so uh, you know, blah 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 blah. blah. But we but we can talk a little bit about uh, about Letterman, um, because uh, McCain made this appearance on Letterman last night. You got to figure at this point. I know that it got ratings, so CBS got to be happy about it. Probably from from an election standpoint, I would imagine that's at least on the Letterman front too little, too late for McCain. You know, it was really interesting when he, when he finally came on. Uh, I didn't think David was was gonna hold back, and he really didn't. He really uh, took him to task for his uh, choice for a running mate for, for Sarah Palin. Right. I don't know if you watched any of it, but he really, you know, didn't let up on that. You know, was was basically saying, uh, you know, and David made it clear that he's an independent, that he's not registered with either party, that uh, you know he didn't think that Sarah Palin was qualified to be commander in chief if anything, God forbid, were ever to happen to McCain. And and for a while there, I, I, it looked to me like McCain. We're starting to get uncomfortable there. I, mean, I would say based on uh, just having seen McCain out on the stump and then having seen him in any sort of a confrontational situation, such as the debate the other night, I think it only takes about three bad questions or 20 minutes, whichever comes first, for McCain to become really grouchy. 
<laughs> he just seems like a guy, and, and, and again, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but McCain seems like one of those guys who is very smart, does understand a great number of things, and probably does have a very, very, very keen grasp of situations. But for that reason, I think McCain... Uh, is resentful of the fact that he has to go out and sort of like slum it by going on like a late night comedy show. McCain oh, probably yeah. sits there and just goes, look, I, you know, I, I've been in government forever. I'm smart. I know stuff. I understand how things work. Why do I have to sit here and be ridiculed by some guy on television while everybody laughs at me? Like, I, I you know, they, I ought to be behind the Oval Office desk right now. I think he resents being put in situations where he has to justify himself. Yeah, he, he said something along the lines of uh, when referring to all of the all the jokes that uh, Letterman was telling about him and and how Letterman was really putting him down, he said he hasn't had this mu- hadn't had that much fun since his last interrogation. Ouch. Yeah, it's I mean you know it's it's just a, it's a it's a weird time, man. This election just every single day there's some new ripple in the weirdness pond. Yeah, I mean li- listen to what McCain had to, had to put up with when he you know came on the show. What now? What exactly happened? <laughs> I mean, this is David Letterman. He's, he's a talk show host. He's a great guy and everything. But, you know, here's a, here's him, a man sitting at, uh, on the set who could be the next president of the United States, you know? And right. he's, he's asking him these questions. Of, what else do I have here? Uh, uh, well, hold on. I'll get it for you. You called me an hour and a half and said, we got to get right back to Washington. But you didn't go right back to Washington. I, I screwed. Uh. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like he's interviewing some Hollywood B-movie actor. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, and I will say this: the difference between uh, Leno and Letterman is right there. That's it. Is that Leno, however successful he may be at a certain very toothless, uninteresting kind of comedy, Letterman has real substance, and Letterman has a fully faceted personality. By which I mean, you know, Leno gets Leno gets on there, and it's just a big goofy grin fest all night long, regardless of what they're doing, and Letterman is a real person, and obviously has uh, you know kind of a mean streak to him and has a grouchy streak to him that he doesn't mind bringing out when the occasion warrants it. And that's why, you know, you you got to be real careful when you when you go on Letterman because you, you never know when he's going to, you know, when he's going to start playing with live ammunition on that show. He definitely did. I mean, it was very obvious that he took it personally when, when McCain, you know, said he's uh he's putting the the campaign, he's suspending the campaign and heading back to Washington to deal with the economy and then only to find right. out that McCain was giving that Katie Kirk interview. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, big plans for your weekend, sir. Oh, I am going to catch up on some lost sleep. What a busy week it's been, you know, with the debate and everything and the economy. Yeah, I'm going to just sleep in. My wife and I have this argument every time I say I'm going to catch up on sleep because she's a nurse and she always she says there is no way to catch up on sleep. It's not, you know, it's not scientifically possible. But I tell you, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I don't know. Binging and purging may not work with sleep, but it's what I do anyway. So I'm with you. I'm going to sleep till noon. Hey, you're still tired, you know. I mean, you, you want to sleep, right? That's what I'm saying. You know? Yeah. Brother got to sleep sometimes. All right. Exactly. All right. Enjoy your weekend, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. I think Steve Kaftenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Let's do one more. We'll take a break. Come back with Craig Gass, Lisa Desjardins, top five later on, Aaron Duran, Mr. Tobacco, and more. So Jeff Bush calls his new W movie High Grade Unadulterated Hooey. That's H O O E Y. Now, there's a comment under the story that says the word hooey in Russian means graphically erected male anatomy. And it is usually censored by Russian bloggers. What? Huh? That's what the comment says on this. The term hooey in Russian means graphically erected male anatomy. Okay. I don't... 
I don't know that I've ever heard that definition before. That's All right. Washington so does that Times. W movie open tonight? It does. Uh, we have a couple of scenes here. <sighs> In this scene... All right, can, before we play these scenes... They're short. All right, but before we do that, can I just say this? You're going to hate it. Well, I'm, I am going to hate it. it. Well, but I, was gonna, I was going to say, am I, but I was going to ask, actually, if I'm alone in that. And the only reason is, because Lara and I were talking last time about, what we, you know, what do you want to do this weekend? And she's, uh, you know, she's gone tonight, but she's, you know, we're, she's free tomorrow. And I said, well, we should go see a movie or something. And she goes, well, let's go see W. And I said, are you, be, are you kidding? Is this like, a, are you being wacky? And she said, no, 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 I, I, kinda, I, I really want to see it. And she goes, I'm surprised you don't want to see it. It's an Oliver Stone film. And I said, well, you know, Oliver Stone, you know, I like Oliver Stone films for the most part. He's had some clunkers recently. And I said, you know, I... Look, I wouldn't sit in a room, you know, and watch George Bush for free for two hours. Why would I sit in a room and pay to see George Bush for two hours? Like, we've had eight years of George Bush that I didn't really have to pay for, I guess. Although, maybe we did. Uh, I guess I only paid... 700-something dollars per person, I, I, I at, believe, as we socialize the economy. I was actually going to say, as soon as, as soon as that phrase left my mouth, I was going to say, although I guess I did, and also with my vastly devalued dollar. So maybe I did. So... But I guess what I'm, my point is, if George Bush came to town right now, if George Bush was talking down the hall, no, he, and I could go sit in that room and listen to George Bush in person for free for two hours, I wouldn't do it. Why would I pay to watch a fake George Bush for two hours? There's just I have no motivation. Would he be on the Marconi show if he was him? I, it, it, perhaps. Uh, well, you're talking I, about down the hallway. I'm just saying, at, at this point, it's not even really about it's not even really about politics at this point. He just bugs me. And I think I'm I'm done with him. I'm ready to have a good. I'm having to have a break from seeing George Bush anywhere at all. He comes on TV now. I change the channel. What's he going to say that I care about? So the prospect of paying 20 bucks to sit with a bunch of mouth breathers to watch George Bush for two more hours, uh, not going to happen. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this movie pans out in say a more liberal area like Portland as opposed to someplace in the Midwest. Right. As far as ticket sales go, I I will be cur- I mean I'll be curious to see if it gets any kind of audience at all. I'm guessing it might open strong in certain pockets of the country. Appalachia. Certain well or maybe in progressive cities as they say where there's a bunch of you know, you know, some like liberal sewing circle that wants to go and get angry about something for two hours. But I think it's going to have a short shelf life. I think the Bush movie is going to come and gone. In two weeks, it'll be gone. Remember the RFK movie, Bobby, we saw. Right. That and that's a guy good. people like. Yeah. That, and and that, that would have done well here. <laughs> and it played in an art house. And that's, a, and that's somebody that we all really, really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prospect of forking over my money to be in the same room as a guy I loathe, mm-hmm. not, not, not going to happen. So to make everyone happy, let's play this little clip. And it is kind of short. In this scene, Vice President Cheney, who is Richard Dreyfus, asks the CIA chief why there aren't any WMDs in Iraq. Much to the consternation of George W. Bush, who's Josh Brolin, who Sarah X. Dillon doesn't like very much because he's a square-headed jock. Uh, my office sent to you spy satellite photos that showed that WMDs could be hidden in caves that you never responded to. We uh, analyzed those photos, Mr. Vice President. And they are actually trenches, watering holes for cattle, not caves. That's not what my people told me. Vice, you grew up in Wyoming. You should damn well know cattle. I mean, there you go. You, you, you fool me once, shame on you. Now fool me twice, and, 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 and you, can't, you can't get fooled again. Is this an SNL? It makes me cringe. Just listening to it makes I, me I cringe. I cannot listen to that. No. There's okay, no I'll never it, see that. It was too slow. And it seemed like a bad skit. And look, uh, what am I going to learn for this movie that I don't already know? I think that's my other thing. Like, are they going to show me something that I wasn't previously aware of? Is there going to be information we weren't privy to about George Bush? 
I, I, it seems to be that the general thrust, from what I've read, the general thrust of the movie is he's kind of, you know, he's not too bright former cokehead who became sort of a bumbling president. Hey, hey, life. already seen the movie, so I, you know, he's a cowboy from Texas. I think Pee Wee Herman said it the best, Tim. I don't need to see it. I lived it. So, you know, on that note, let's take a break. We'll come back I'm after this. To bring the room down. No, 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 it's not bringing the room down. I'm just saying, I think I speak for all of America when I say, I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad I heard a clip, though, because now I definitively know that I do not want to see it. It solidified your exactly. hunch. All right. Ugh. All right. Back after this with comedian Craig Gass, Lisa Desjardins, top five. Later on, Mr. Tamako and... being made the object of fun, Sarah? No, you took charge. I was impressed. That's what I do. I'm old man. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, Richard Bristol, can we uh, welcome Craig Gass to the studio? He's been very patient. We're running very behind. He right? has, I know. It's about... I feel like a jerk. I feel like an ass. Richie, get me an ass. That is the worst thing you've ever said. I stole, I stole it from Beavis and Butthead. Because then Beaver says, and a side of boobs. All right. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up in the next hour, Mr. Tomacco, uh will join us here. He's the guy that created a half-tomato, uh, half half-tobacco plant, which was then on an episode of The Simpsons, or I guess he did it after The Simpsons. Anyway, he's on the commentary track for The Simpsons' Tomacco episode. And the only reason anybody cares about that, and by anybody I mean us, is because I guess on the new Simpsons Season 11 DVD set... If you watch the commentary track for the Tamako episode, Mr. Tamako mentions us. So I guess we are mentioned on the new Simpsons what? DVD set, which I is pretty righteous. Cool. Uh, Lisa Desjardins will join us here in a moment. Uh, comedian Craig Gass. Hello, sir. Sorry we're running so late, man. I feel like a jerk. That's all right, man. We're hanging out. All right. But you're here now, and that's what matters, Craig. I'm here. Are you stuck for your shows tonight? Uh, yes, I am. I'm gonna. Uh, we're going to do a musical number that's going to open the show with uh, Christopher Walken. Um this won't make any sense. You got to see it in person. But uh, we're going to do a, a musical number, a Led Zeppelin uh, spoken word with Christopher Walken. Excellent. It's going to be awesome. And this is at the back alley. At in the back alley in Vancouver, Washington. Tonight and tomorrow. Two shows tonight. Two shows tomorrow. Excellent. Uh, you can call the back alley. Or you can get the tickets online at brownpapertickets.com. Brownpapertickets.com, and then you just search for me, Craig Gas. Gas with two S's. And that is also myspace.com slash Craig Gas. Yeah, and there's the picture of uh, Steve-O doing something awful to Danny Bonaducci. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do with the uh, top five here in just a moment. Uh, today, we're, I know you, uh, we never got a chance to talk about the Tommy Lee thing the other day, so we'll talk about that in a bit. Mm -hmm. And then you were just sort of talking about something in the kitchen. I don't even want to spoil what it is, but you in the kitchen sort of, you, you did a little tease there. You kind of dangled Wasn't something that out that you could talk about. A little carrot on a stick. Yep. You said, hey, Rick, if you want to, I could tell the story about da-da-da-da-da. And I said, that's so cool. You yeah. have to. So yeah. I figured you'd be a fan. Absolutely. So uh, we'll do that here in just a moment with Craig Gass later on, Aaron Duran, Mr. Tamako. This, however, I say wondering if Tim Riley is going to appear to count it down. That's what we're going to introduce. Cause I'm like, is, home, but no Tim. Well, it's Lisa, so should we play her music again to bring her on? All right, ladies and gentlemen. From the Hill, CNN radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you again, Lisa? Hi, guys. Seems like we just spoke about an hour and a half ago. Yeah, pretty much. It feels a lot like that to me. All right. Bum, bum. Yeah. Uh, insert a whole lot of uh, how's your day and uh, whatever, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> hey, did you, I meant to ask you, did you see McCain on Letterman last night? I didn't. I read, I'm such a dork. I read the transcript, though. <laughs> okay. Exciting. That doesn't really make you a dork. That does make you the coolest person ever, in our opinion. So uh, that's like uh, I was um, 
I, I was uh, I don't know but a few days ago I was talking to one of Sarah's friends who's kind of a kind of a big politics you know fan. She she you knows she's a she teaches political science and history and whatever. And we were having some conversation about something or other. And she did the greatest thing. She just dropped in in casual conversation. She said, "Well, you know, I was up really late last night and I was reading this book of uh, political analysis from the 1800s as it relates to Richard Nixon's uh, run for uh, governor." And I was just like, that is the coolest thing anybody has ever said. Wow. So, you know? So, I mean, that's that's the sort of thing that resonates with Whoa. Rick Emerson. All right. So we have, we've been doing uh, these top fives, and uh, comedian Craig Gass is here in the studio with us. And, Craig, you heard us talking about I want to know what that girl looks like that's studying uh, books from the 1800s related <laughs> to Nixon's uh, run for the governor. I will tell you two things. She's pretty awesome. She's hot and tattooed. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, wow, super chick. So we've been doing these top five teenage moping songs, and this is actually the final one, Lee. You're going to be, you're bringing the curtain down on it. We have had listeners do it. We've had coworkers do it. I did one. Uh, we've had the uh, people from upstairs here at CBS Radio doing it. So you are, though, the final top five. Wow. So would you like to give any sort of preface or preamble before we count down your top five teenage moping songs? I really tried to make it, uh, like, historically accurate to what I truly listened to and was just ridiculously girly about. Yeah. So I, I, I joke, maybe not for the most hilarious or even the best songs, but this is this is definitely what was going on with me. My top five uh, high school songs, I'd say. Well, look, I got to tell you that my top five had both Black Sabbath and Garth Brooks. So compared to that, like any top five is is fantastic. Have you gotten a lot of overlap with these at all? The only overlap has been we've had two overlaps. One is The Cure, and the other is Harry Chapin. Oh, and the third one was November Rain. Oh, November Rain was on two yep. was on two That's, lists, but uh, we've had I think. Oh, girl. Four different top fives that had Harry Chapin, and we had, I think, either four or five different lists that had The Cure. Okay. So. I did consider The Cure. That's funny. But, yeah, they, 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 they are timeless. 15, yeah. yeah. All right. Every year there is a new generation of black shirt-clad youths who are just filled with angst and, uh, you know, uh, and whose record library consists of Robert Smith recordings. So, all right. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is your top five. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? All right, ladies and gentlemen, and to count down Lisa Desjardins' top five teenage moping songs, Tim Riley. Tim. And as we wrap up, oh, and as we wrap up the excursion into adolescent angst, we end up on the highest of high notes. Without further ado. These are Lisa Desjardins' top five teenage moping songs. With honorable mention going to On My Own from Lame Miserable. <laughs> this doesn't... This I, doesn't really seem like moping music so much as it does invading a small European country <laughs> music. Well, this isn't exactly that song. This is from the, this is from the Lame Miz soundtrack. Is this not On My Own? Have I pulled the wrong Lame Miz yeah, song? It's a different song, but, you know, oh, hey, I I'll, suck. I'll, I'll I'm a terrible Europe. person. I'm a terrible person. I am all for, you know, the French people now with the name, I guess. Can you give us an acapella version of this song? Yeah, if I drop the pot, can you uh, can you uh, sing it yeah, for us? It's probably best that, that you don't have this one because it is really just painfully um, kind of like saccharine and sad and uh, just ridiculous. Okay, so. well, I, I, first of all, I have to ask, what the hell song is this then? Well, let's listen to it. Oh, yeah, 
this is actually this. I guess there was a big intro. There this, was an overture. Yeah, it All is right. there. It is as it says on my own. Uh, she is pretending the guys beside her as she sings. It is, you know, and her her one happiness is in those few moments. Uh, and and then at the by the end of the song she's like, but uh, that's all that's all BS. None of that really exists, and I'm on my own. So this is the I'm all alone preamble. This yeah, is, this is the I guess this is the lead into the song. So this is the problem with picking a Broadway song is they just they don't. There's more than a couple problems with picking a Broadway song. And let me just say also, Lisa, that it, really the only issue here is. Can I tell you that I'm a horrible person because I've never seen Les Mis? And wow. I know. One I Day know. More is one of my favorite songs. Yeah, that's it's a great, that is a great song. So, but I was going for the Mopey Mope, and that is this song. I do have to say that I, knowing kind of what else is coming on your list, the idea that some of these other songs coexist with this song from, from, from Les Mis is just, uh, is just quite wonderful. I can absolutely see you sort of like uh, the Daria cartoon, just sort of. <laughs> Kind of shuffling around your bedroom, listening to Les Mis. I mean, it's just the most adorable thing I can possibly imagine. Yes, it's, yes, it's kind of listening in the car on the cassette tape. <laughs> <laughs> totally on a cassette tape that you're propping up with a matchbook because otherwise the sound is all warbly. <laughs> let's just let's listen to this for just a moment here. In the rain, the pavement shines like silver. All right, I, have to, I don't mean yeah. to diminish your teenage pain, but really this is just adorable. It is adorable. And you know, this woman who's singing, her voice sounds like what I would imagine your singing voice to sound like, Lisa. So like in the, in that is very sweet of you to say. And many, many a time did I try to sound just like this woman. In the musical stage play of your life, when you burst out into song, you will sound just like this woman, exa- Exactly, exactly. And I, I'm nervous about this. I might be wrong, but uh, I think this is the American version. I think that's how deep I go with this. Let me just tell you, I just went to YouTube and typed in Les Mis on my own, and yeah, I just yeah, trusted yeah. whatever the first result was. Uh, it right. could be like an all-star version, but I think, yeah, the American version. Tim Riley? At number five, You Better Be Home Soon by Crowded House. I love this song. Deep I haven't heard this song for about ten years. Oh, this is such, I mean, this this song has stayed with me. This is a great, and this is a perfect, uh, I'm glad that I remembered this because this is a perfect example of a teenage angst song that had nothing to do with me. Like, right. obviously it's like a horrible breakup and, you know, perhaps the girl is like off drinking and sleeping around and like, it, and he, he's basically like, you better come back because I'm out of here. And it had nothing to do with any of my situations, but somehow I was like, this is about me. Uh, well, that's, but see, that's the genius of music is no matter how, no matter what the song is really about, you can insert yourself. It's like a you are here kind of a thing. Yes. And then you find out later on, what was that wildfire song by Mar- Michael Martin Murphy's about yes. a horse? Mm-hmm. But everybody's like, you know, you don't know what's about a horse. You're going, ah, that's about me. You edit it to fit your life. Totally. And I think, you know, especially if you write very emotive music. You know, Trent Reznor says that he gets these letters all the time from teenagers like, Trent, I mean, I know that you and I are the same. I mean, we're the same, man, because when you wrote that song, it's like you're talking right to me. And, you know, and which I guess is this song is written by a guy named Neil Finn. Yeah. uh, Who's just a genius. I had him. I saw him do a solo unplugged show a while back, which was beautiful. This is such a great song. Great album, too. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and he is still kicking. He's still doing great stuff. This album has the song Into Temptation, which showed up on a list from somebody a few days ago. Oh, really? Hey. Yeah. 
Excellent. Yeah, this, this was another one of those. I almost wanted to put this on our wedding CD, but Jason was like, that's, "All right." No, that's that's that wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got it up, Lisa Desjardins. Top five teenage moping songs, Tim. Number four, "In Your Eyes" by Peter Gabriel. Yeah, that's my song. Hey. <laughs> oh. That's my song. I just mentioned it the other day. You are so cool. It is the best. I'm with exactly. Oh. This is the best. So now this song will just punch you in the face with that girl that screwed you over. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Which brings me to a question for you, Lisa, actually. So are these songs about specific people or were they generalized moping songs? Um, this one was definitely high school boyfriend, you know, that I was crazy about. And uh, we were, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend for two, maybe three years, you know, and, and uh, we went to a nerd school. So it was like this super innocent thing. We didn't even make out for like a year and a half of being boyfriend and girlfriend. Where's the nerd school at? I was just going to say, what, what do you mean you went to a Was it like a magnet school yeah, for, had to be, for bright kids? You had to have a certain size of glasses to and get in. Yeah, exactly. You, no, you, yes. Yeah, it was, um... It was a school, a school for math and science. <laughs> you, I mean, doesn't that qualify as a nerd school? You don't have a certain amount yeah. of tape. A certain amount of tape on your glasses. I just, really, I just want to take you and give you the most playful of noogies right now. <laughs> really, just it's just so great. So, so we were just really innocent and and dorky and um and and like this song is that was like our song when we were super innocent and then it was our song when I went to college. He was still one year behind me oh, in school. Oh. And, and then it all, it just, it, it, it didn't stick after that. And it was like this sad, like, oh, we're, we're not together anymore. I've moved on to college. That was, it's, it, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yes. A beautiful, beautiful song. I was, I was actually going to say, not to make everything about me, uh, but I was going to say the, that, that story, the girl who was a year ahead of you in school and, you know, and, 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 and you know, went off to college hours away. And you're doing that, oh, we'll still make it work, we'll still make it, you know, and then it never does. And, you know, but the worst thing about that is, is that then, because in this case, I think in your case and mine, you know, the girl is a year ahead, you do that horrible thing, though, of looking back, like, endlessly in retrospect Absolutely. and wondering uh, if I'm, you had been in the same year, if that, in other words, if that hadn't happened, what how would it have turned what out? What I always feel about unfinished business is that, and it could have ended, she could have turned out to be a whore. You don't know. <laughs> I mean, you don't. You don't know. I mean, you didn't get to know her well enough. You don't know what could have happened. But because it's unfinished, <laughs> the dream is still possible in your head, and Peter Gabriel still sings directly right. to your heart. Ugh. This is it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well chosen, Lisa. These are great. I mean, they really are. I mean, I know you had to go through bad times to get this list, but I mean, this is a beautiful list already. Hey. Ugh. All right. Tim Riley. Where were we? I don't know. I think we're at uh, number three. Number three. The Glory of Love by Peter Cetera. That's what I'm talking about. This is a real girly song. Holy Jesus. (laughs) Karate Kid 2, baby. That's right. I love this song. Holy Jesus. (laughs) Now, is this about somebody specific? Um, uh, This was the same time period. But I think think this one was, like, more uh, general, like, I hope I get married someday and there's some man that will fight for me, like, Ralph Macchio. Like <laughs> <That is laughs> Ralph Macchio. Oh, man. Isn't that ridiculous? And, you know, because they're playing this movie now on one of the cable stations, and I, 
I checked it out, and it is really kind of a bad movie. Oh, really? You're kidding. No, <laughs> now look. I have to say, it's better than the first Karate Kid, though. It's still better than the first one. It, pro- it probably is better, but it's still like the, the whole like plot, like the him versus the Japanese guys, like it kind of doesn't make sense. Like, why, why are you so angry? Also, here's why the great... Why down the village? Here's, here's, the, here's the great thing about Karate Kid 2, is that you realize that some cliches exist across all cultures and types of film because there if you remember there's this moment where Ralph Macchio and I forget the girl's name the girl that he meets in Okinawa or whatever Japanese uh, girl right yeah they are sitting there and they're having tea or where she's making him tea and then they do it's like the sort of Japanese version of the thing that always happens you know with the American girl in the films where she has her hair put up in a bun, the Japanese the traditional Japanese bun, and she reaches behind and she takes out like the little sticks or whatever, and she shakes her hair out, and it totally is like in movies where it's the nerdy girl with her hair in a ponytail. Yeah. Yeah, but this I gotta say, Peter Cetera, he is the king of the teenage moping songs. Totally. I feel like this one has not gotten enough credit, and it was it was definitely. Uh, you know, this was the slow song that I was looking for the guy, you this know, is, during the stock hop. This is your your song to a theoretical perfect man. Yeah, at the time, yeah, definitely in, in ninth grade, no question. And uh, he also sang Look Away, didn't he? Wasn't he this guy that sang, Look, if you I see think, me walking by and the tears are in my look eye, away, look away, baby, look away? That's I think right. that's him, too. Yeah, yeah. This list is fan. I could listen to this list all day. All right, Tim Riley. Number two. Hey, if ever you're in my arms again. Bebo Bryce. Here's Bebo yes. Bryce. You gonna hit the post, Tim? You bet. Would you let me try to hear? Let me stop it again. You can hit the post. All right. All right. Good yeah. afternoon, ladies. It's one fifty-six on the music that brings you joy each and every day. Here's Bebo <laughs> Bryce. Darn it! Oh, there's a secondary post. This is a secondary post. This is going out especially for Lisa. Here's Bebo Bryson. Yeah. All right, well done. Look at that. A professional. You are, by the way, the first person to have Peebo Bryson on the list, please. Oh, hey. Wow, that surprises me. That's great. Yeah, he was. A, it was a no-brainer, this song, for me. This was... This was a great song, and this song, like this song, hit a couple different levels. Like there was a point. This is how lame uh, I, I, I was. Is I actually I think I might have made up like a dance slash gymnastics routine to this song. That is the best thing so I have weird. ever heard. I did too when I uh, actually dropped out of high school. I was in the parking lot with all the stoners, and I came up with this uh, high on uh, ecstasy. What is what is your dance? What was your dance to this? It doesn't seem like a danceable song. Oh, I, oh it is. Really? It, uh, yeah, it was. It was very like uh, like overstated, long gestures, like oh, like an interpretive dance almost. Leg moves. Like a yes. desperate dance. Sort of. Were you like your own personal Jennifer Grey in this? <laughs> I think I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. Playing yeah, the role of Jennifer like and Patrick. <laughs> Uh, that's... It was very like you know you you don't know what you're missing too you know like the the guys that, that weren't noticing you right like you know if ever you know oh such a great song if you'd like me to call any of those guys now and taunt them with the fact that you work for CNN Radio and they're like working at an auto parts store <laughs> or something you know you let me know all right uh, I'll let you know fantastic all right this uh, okay here we go this is by the way what were the song we're about to play. Final song on the final wow. Teenage Moping Top 5. Lisa, you are bringing an end to the entire thing with this next song. Kibo almost took number one, but I couldn't do it. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley now gives us the final Teenage Moping song. Here comes Pet Benatar and We Belong. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep, this good stuff. I feel like that is... Feel like... Sorry. My computer made a clonking noise there. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is the, like, hardcore, we are in love. We are teenagers and nobody else understands. This is you and you and your guy against the world. Yeah, that's what it was, exactly. You know? I know I know that I don't have a car, and I know you don't have a car. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if we did... Uh, I'll walk to your house. It sounds like a show on the CW, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. It does. Yeah. It's awesome. uh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, definitely. And in fact, I did that. I know that I walked to his house, which was, it was a pretty good walk, you know, like listening to this song on my little cassette Walkman. Yeah, I'm sure of it. Can I just tell you, I don't mean for this to sound creepy, the entire audience is just giving you a big mental hug right now. <laughs> I speak for every single person, male and female in the audience. They are all giving you the biggest of mental hugs. Oh man, yeah, you got, yeah, you, you guys make 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 my life on a regular basis for sure. Well, uh, so I have to ask you as we wrap this up: was this list more traumatic to put together, uh, freeing to put together, or both? Much more freeing. It was it was difficult, like putting them in order. That was tough. Yeah. But it was definitely freeing and great. So I feel like you're able to put a period at the end of your adolescent sentence. Yeah, I do, and I hadn't realized how much uh, that it was right there on the surface. That's right what I'm there. saying. Ah, oh, all right. Well done, Lisa. Hey, thanks, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Desjardins with her top five teenage moping songs. Good job, Lisa. Hey. All right, you rule. All right, thank you, Lisa. Have a good weekend. Okay, see you guys. All right, there you go. Wow. Okay, how good? We'll break here in a second. We'll come back more from Craig Gash. I'm going to be hilarious her. when we come back. Aaron Duran. I'm all over the place. Mr. Tamako. How great was that, though? Can we just give it up? That for, was. What a fantastic list. That was just, it was wonderful. And none of it unexpected. I mean. She had me at Peter Gabriel. Making up a dance to Peebo Bryson. Mm -hmm. But I could see all that. Totally. I and could see lots all. of little girls. Like, I mean, but that is, truth be told, that is something a lot of little girls do. Really? Oh, oh wait. Yeah. Hold on, Sarah. Oh, what? I'm not taking away from Lisa's special dance, because I'm sure it was a lot better than, right. you know. But, but I mean, you did that, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, every, that's that's just what. So what song do you remember? Sarah, what song did you have a dance to? Paula Abdul, Knocked Out. Really? That. Are you mm -hmm. serious? Yeah, it was like in fifth grade. Like, fourth or fifth grade, when you're bored and you're a girl mm -hmm. and there's not much to do, everyone. Uh, I, I would love to see her interpretive dance, because I pictured it as something from Mo Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion when they're doing that time after time. <laughs> That and is I'd be fantastic. Honest, I, uh, I did the uh, Grease Lightning dance when I was like eight years old. That's awesome. Yeah. I these these my are bed. the songs of the smart little girls, though. They really yeah. are. And that, that thing about how she went to a nerd school. Uh, and that story about going up to college a year before him. Oh, boy. All right. Well, that's great. All right. We'll come back. Craig Gasser on the corner with his Tommy Lee story. I'm all in for Clem. Uh, Aaron Duran, Mr. Tamako Moore. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. Lumber Mill. My wife, she done left me for a plumber named Bill. I made it nine years without a single drop. I'm back on that booze, I don't know where Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. And so forth. This email says, Rick, the gay males of the Emerson audience are weeping in tears. Thanks, Lisa Desjardins. Oh, currently in tears. Thanks, Lisa Desjardins. It's from a uh, guy named Aaron. You're welcome, Aaron. It's 503-733-2970. A nerd school. I am surprised that there hasn't been some sitcom in the last few years that is sort of set at one of those nerd schools, like a school for, like, the gifted and, and socially awkward, like a square pegs kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But really, it's just a school full of nerds. 
Because those schools, I mean, they have those now in most cities, those programs for the gifted, uh, you know, where they try to, you know, if you're some brainiac who can, like, build a, a, a you know, nuclear power plant or something, like, you can, you know, they take you and they, so you have to get, you know, so you get away from the guys who are just getting high in shop class and they put you in a school of other nerds. Seems like there should be a sitcom set in one of those. They have I mean, movies like that, right? Yeah. Movies where they're all in uh... Yeah, I mean, you know, but you do, yeah, so you make it like a high school sitcom, but it's just at some place where it's just a bunch of uh, pocket protector guys. That'd I'd watch that. Totally. All right. Hello, Craig Gass. Hey, man, what's happening? Uh, we got a busy show today. So, I know, um, man, you guys always have a lot going on. I, I just want to hang. I, I just like uh, just being here. Uh, I just feel like you guys be. are going to inherit the media world. Yeah, well, if, from your I mouth really to, do. from your mouth to Les Moonves's ears. I, I really do. I believe that it's uh, uh, the youngest show in radio, and uh, and I want to hang out with you guys. Well, you. <gasps> Thank you. Is that all right? Let's hug. Let's hug I don't, do. Hug. We have so much. I, I know. It's like a, we're gonna hug here. We're gonna hug I, inside. I've called Is you. A mental hug. I've, I've called you from time to time, and then I feel awkward later because I'll be like, maybe. Uh, and I do leave long messages. Yes. You know. Yes, you do. And then uh, Sarah, I wanted to hang out with Sarah the other day, and she was like, "Where do you want to hang out at?" And I was like, "Just somewhere we can just hang out. I just want to get to know you." And she's like, "All right." And I was like, oh, "I shouldn't have said that. That sounds no. creepy." Let's go to the and food then, court. And then uh, yeah, let's go. I just I just. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Lord But we have we have a lot in common, and uh, it's because I'm doing the show right to you. I'm no, thinking dude. all of your thoughts, me and Trent Reznor. Really? No. So this is like the Matrix? I will say this just by way of a preamble, that you shouldn't take any offense because as Sarah will tell you, I almost never answer my phone. I don't even look. It's like it rings and I just hit, I hit, you know, ignore. I've just sense. gotten used to stalking him. Like, I will call him. I have no shame. Just he won't like return your call? Hmm? He won't return your call? No, sometimes he just won't answer, and so I'll just call again and again and again until I yeah. know that he's just ignoring it until I Ooh. get him. And, and just, I won't even look, it, but it's no like, shame. I'll have the phone in my pocket, and it rings, and even like through my jeans, I just go, ignore, and then I check it later. But my problem is, uh, just it, with something, with me, that's why I've learned that I have to write everything down in my day planner, because if it's out of sight, out of mind, I forget about it. And so, I remember like, there was, you called me I don't know, a while back, I forget, it was a couple months back about something, you left me a message, and you're like, hey, so call me back and let me know. And I actually made, I think I was actually in bed, I was going to bed or getting up, and I checked the messages, and I made a mental note, like, all right, got to call Craig Gass. You know, and then I, you know, whatever, and he hit the hit delete. And then, of course, as soon as I hit delete, it fell out of my brain, so. Oh, yeah, and I do the same thing, too. Yeah. And, uh, and the one thing I feel weird about is uh, calling back people who are, like, really successful, like, famous people. I will not call back. I don't like, I have uh, famous people's phone numbers, yeah. and I just won't pick up the phone. Yeah. It's, just, it's just awkward. Oh, yeah, no, it's weird. Um, and, uh... But uh, I saw the DVD you gave me last time I was here. You gave me the DVD of the one-man show, uh, Bigger Than Jesus, and uh, uh, you sold that bitch out. I mean, I was, like, surprised at every like every uh, aspect of it. I was like, it's Bigger Than Jesus in Portland. What the hell's going on over there? How did he put this thing together? Well, thank you. Was that, that is... a thing that you did for a while and then filmed it one night, or did, was it all a one-shot deal? Um... Well, I have to tread lightly here because yes, of... Yes, uh, this is weird about talking about outside projects, but I can talk about it conflict I of, do it. Yeah, the conflict of interest rules, I have to be very... I, have to, I just have to be careful about what what I say and how I talk about it. Well, um, Rick started it out as a one-man show, and he anyway. actually performed it at uh, the Clinton Street Theater a few years ago. In okay. front of it. it was the hottest day ever, too. It's like 120 degrees in there. Totally. Was yeah. it a labor of love for Rick? It was. It was amazing. <laughs> was, hey, you're, my, you're my mouthpiece. Speak for me. He worked really hard at it, and then so... Uh, so time passed, and he decided that they wanted to do a film version of it. So we went to a theater, I don't know, someplace way over there in, like, fancy plans. Lincoln Performance Hall. The Lincoln Performance Hall, wow. um, where there was a full stage player. We had people, like, playing, um, for example, like, Rick's mother and father, and then they recorded the whole thing and um, and packaged it up and made it a DVD. 
Wow. And it was really cool, Alcohol man. All out of their own pockets, too. And uh, and I know, I remember leaving the comment about, like, whoever that dude was, you had a couple of singers on there, but there was one guy who nailed Paul Stanley. That is, uh, the guy who nailed Paul Stanley is a guy named Eric Helzer. And when we say he nailed Paul yeah. Stanley, we're talking about the fact that he uh, sings like him. Oh, oh, that's it. Uh, he's a yeah. That's a that is a guy named Eric Helzer who actually uh, fronted a local Kiss tribute band. Really? Yeah. What's the name of the band? Uh, they were called Shout It Out Loud. Yeah. So they, those guys were all really, really good. I mean, they, the Alice Cooper, the the rock and roll. Totally. The Hetfield guy. I mean, you've seen Kiss like a million times. Oh yeah. In oh yeah. Concert. Absolutely. I saw Kiss uh, in Las Vegas playing with Aerosmith and. Uh, on stage, Paul Stanley, this is a quote. This is one of his on stage quotes. He goes, All right, people, now listen. You know? No, but that's what he said. It was I know. Like, I, I, on stage. I understand that, but you can't. You can't all right, well, Paul Stanley's very silly. That is an unacceptable double entendre, I think. Uh, all right, well, well, Paul's a very silly, silly onstage yes. guy. And then, but his offstage <laughs> is, uh, oh, is like soft, uh, but incredibly arrogant. Yes. Um, do you remember the. I'm a god, but the humble one. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I've seen him in interviews like they did a Japanese tour for the farewell tour, right? Um, and uh, in the in this press conference in Japan, they're asking a bunch of questions about how amazing Kiss is, right? And at one point, Paul goes, "You know, a lot of people are envious of Kiss. I'm envious of Kiss." And I mean, it's just like, do you remember the Rock Against Drugs uh, commercials back with in the Gene day? Simmons? They had one with Jekyll Gene. and Hyde. And uh, yes, that's right. Gene, Gene Simmons. There was a Rock Against Drugs PSA because yeah. Gene Simmons very, you know, he's almost like a straight edge guy. Uh, but he did a Jekyll and Hyde thing, and where he, he starts out as Mister Hyde, and he's all made up, and he's like, "Drugs make me popular and smart and funny." And then there's a puff of smoke, and then he's Gene Simmons. He goes, "Don't believe that crap. You know, drugs kill." Or whatever. I forgot about that because yeah. Vince Neils was totally straight. He's like, "Hey, dude, I'm Vince Neil. I just killed four people in a car accident. Please, I'm gonna kill it. your drummer next." <laughs> This is part of my rehab. Is I got to do these commercials. Um, but uh, when they had uh, Paul, they had a long form, thirty minute infomercial of Rock Against Drugs. Right. Where they did interviews with all these uh, rockers who were going to tell you, you know, that how drugs are bad for you. And then they show Paul Stanley in a room full of like they could never show Paul Stanley with like a hot chick. It had to be like thirty hot totally. chicks. Always had to be like the super sexual dude. And uh, he actually says in the interview, he goes, you know. If you're a girl and you got an opportunity to be with me, why would you want to ruin such a bombastic moment with drugs or alcohol <laughs> to take away what I'm about to give you? Are you kidding me? I, I love, swear to God. I love Paul Stanley. Oh, my God. What a douchebag. Yeah. No, hey, you take that back about the star child. <laughs> well, dude, uh, a couple. I like you'd be interested in me anyway. I, you know what? I would have. I would absolutely have sex with Paul Stanley. I'm telling you right I now. Wow. Probably have sex with you too. Ooh, I, I would. No, I isolate that and use that as a hey, drop. I don't mind telling you. You know what? I'm kind of. This is the second man that you've told me today that you'd have sex with. Keith Oberman. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. I. Uh, I no, he's just. You know what? Keith he, Oberman. You know what? A Keith glorious. Oberman. He's. Smart, successful, gala, heir of authority, great writer, very talented, and I want to... He's that's... intelligent, and he has a ball so they would want... Paul Stanley, why not? I mean, if you, look, if you can get... I mean, if you have the chance to... Hey, Paul Stanley me? in makeup. Paul Stanley? Dude, I saw... Uh, uh, I went to a Kiss concert. Um, Gene, uh, uh, they're always really uh, cool to me. Well, Gene has always been cool to me. I never met Paul before, uh, but Gene loves the fact that I do the impression of him. Right. And uh, he lets me get into the shows and stuff. And I went to a concert in Atlantic City, and um, I went backstage to thank Gene's assistant who took care of everything. He got us in for free, got us passes and the whole right. nine. And uh, I walked in through the wrong door, and, uh, and there's... Uh, 
Paul Stanley in uh, still in Kiss makeup and uh, chest hair, of you course. know, oh, uh, <laughs> and, and he's got the platforms on, and uh, Gene's assistant is right next to Paul, and he looks at me like, dude, uh, what are you doing here? And I go, oh man, uh, I'm sorry, let me, <clears throat> excuse me, and I just I walk in between them, and I started walking down the hall, and from behind me, after I took about 20 steps down the hall, I hear Paul Stanley go, Craig Gaff. <laughs> And I go, hey, Paul, what's up? And he goes, how come you don't do an impression of me? And I go, uh, I do one. I don't think you want to hear it, though. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, come on, let's hear it. So I start walking towards Paul, and I'm editing out every gay joke I've ever done about him. I'm like, uh. Nothing left. And then I did, I, I, literally, nothing left. I get to him, and I did uh, an impression that had no jokes at all. I just went, you know. You're the guy that's the big rock star, and this is the guy who wants to know, what did we get paid tonight? And you're the guy that looks out and sees all the hot chicks and thinks, I'm going to make love to everyone in this room. And this guy looks at all the hot chicks and thinks, how many of these whores got in for free tonight? <laughs> and uh, and then Paul goes, you know, that doesn't sound anything like you at all. <laughs> and that, that's like, that's the big rub on everybody. They always like say, like, you don't sound me. Yeah, and... Uh, but uh, but he was cool to me, and Paul apparently loves the idea of me bashing Gene and making fun of Gene. Oh, there's a weird married tension there. Oh, I mean, there's absolutely. No uh, well, uh, we'll do a couple of these phone calls or somebody. I think there's a, a call Richie really wants me to take here on, on right. line one. We'll get to that in a second. Um, the, rock and roll. The, uh, well, Mr. Tamako coming in a bit. He's got that Simpsons commentary audio about us. Uh, Aaron Duran will be here. Uh, Craig Gasby with us to the end of the show. I'm performing tonight and tomorrow in Vancouver, Washington at the Back Alley Nightclub. And tickets available at brownpapertickets.com. Yep, you got to search my name at brownpapertickets.com. Gas two S's. The, I will, we had this great audio the other day uh, from Kiss where they were... <laughs> I had made this prediction a long time ago. Um, when I saw Kiss the last time... Paul did something where he goes, you know, you know, what do you say? He says, uh, you know, um, I see a lot of generations of family out there. I see mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, grandfathers, all the way down to children. And then, you know, I can't do the voice, obviously, but he says, um, he says, and young people, I want to tell you something. Kiss will be here for you. And at that moment, I turned to my wife and I said, write this down, write down the day and time I said this. They're going to hand the whole thing, makeup, off to a brand new group of people, and it's going to go forever, like for, for hundreds of years. Yeah. You fast forward to a couple months ago, there's Gene and Paul being interviewed on a Swedish TV show, but separately, like in separate rooms. And they, they're interviewing Gene, and they're like, so Gene, what is next for KISS? And Gene says, well, we're going to have a reality program, and what we're going to do is we're going to audition for a whole new band, and they're going to put on the makeup, and they will take on the KISS mantle. Yeah. And they will go. But then they cut to Paul. Paul, we hear you're doing a, a reality <laughs> show. And, and Paul just goes, I don't know why Gene would say that. I haven't I haven't signed anything. I, I, to my, there's no paperwork. And then they cut back to Gene. It's absolutely happening. And they cut back to Paul. No one told me anything about this. So Paul either didn't know or he knew but was kind of embarrassed by it and didn't want to talk about it. But Gene, it's happening. It's coming to Fox Television next year. And they cut Paul going, I haven't heard anything about that. <laughs> Oh, real? And also, that's the wrong one. That's the wrong That's me. I got one. Hold on. Before we say anything here, here's what just happened. That was totally the wrong guy. The people on the screen heard that. got bleeped. Um, I have a whole CD of nothing but Paul Stanley's stage banter. 
No songs, Which no whatever. Which is classic, and yeah. um, there's a great one that I heard. Uh, I actually, I, uh, since the last time I saw you, I got offered a tour with Alice in Chains. Really? Alice in Chains, uh, they had me as their opening act uh, on a, an acoustic tour, <laughs> and they told me phenomenal stories about Kiss, where they opened for Kiss at a Mount Fuji festival in Japan, yeah, yeah. where it uh, was it was a big open space that could have held like 100,000 people. Right. But they literally sold 3,000 tickets, and some of the biggest bands, uh, and there's a lot of theories about right. why nobody showed up, but apparently when Paul Stanley was on stage, he goes, all right, people, now listen. Now I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to picture millions of people behind you. Don't turn around. Don't turn around. <laughs> but just picture millions of people. I don't know why. I, just, I never heard a guy in stage go, don't turn around. Don't, don't. Just don't. Because there's nobody behind you. Um, so for those who didn't hear what just happened, because I believed it. Um, so I have, this, to get dumped. I have this whole CD of Paul Stanley stage banter. And there's a, there was a great one I was going to play. It was, it was one of his classic, like, how many people... Like to get high, you know, it was, it was great. Uh, and then I picked one that immediately. wrong one. <laughs> I picked one that immediately started with Paul referencing a sexual act. Yep. Let's do these calls. Then we'll welcome Mr. Tomacco. Then Aaron Duran will come in here. Uh, Craig Gass also in the studio with us today. Yeah, Shane. Uh, hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. What's up, Rick? Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, what do you got? I just like to tell you, you guys suck. About two weeks ago, uh, right as you were starting the teenage moping song. Yes. And every day I was listening to you. About two days before that, I broke up with my girlfriend. You guys suck. Uh, and so we were, uh, we were, we, so we were both comforting you in your time of need, but also reminding you of the living hell that is your life. You know, oh, it yes. oh, sounds to me yes, like sir. it is time of need. What you're gonna need is some cold gin. Hit it, Gene. Uh, did, did, you, did you dump her? Or did she dump you, sir? Uh, eh, well, um, she it was kind you. of a um, she dumped she, you. She decided not to move back up from California. Uh, and uh, uh, she said, are you going to move down here? And I said, no. So I guess that's it. Dude, all you need to do is find a girl that looks just like her, nail her, and dump her. Okay. Well. <laughs> you don't yeah. say anything. I'm no. doing say anything right there. You know, it sounds to me like, God took your girl from you. <laughs> that's a terrible he thing. took your girl from that's you. That's Craig Gass doing it. It was probably Gene that's nailing her now. Uh, well, you know, sir, it's always uh, darkest before the dawn and the whatever. Yeah, all, all kidding aside, here's the thing. How old are you? I am 26. All right. Well, oh, here's dude, the, you're supposed uh, to be single right now. I, what are you doing? No, no, say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't calling for any sympathy. I was just letting you know. It, was, we suck. it was incredible timing. Well, uh, so, yeah, so, uh, well, just uh, get back Maybe out there. Maybe I inspired you to get at it. listen to your own sad music. There you go. So, you know, I'd like to think that we helped you through this tunnel, sir. Uh, you, well, you, you help me through just about every day. Rick. All right. So, oh, all right. Thank you, my friend. Not, not for that to sound weird or anything. All right. Thank you very much, well, sir. Good luck with you. All right. There you go. Uh, by the way, uh, a woman says about that one-man show performance that you all were talking about, the first one, she says, that was the hottest night ever. I was nine months pregnant, and I had to leave because I started going into labor from the heat. What I, what? Saw, was, what I saw was great, though. <laughs> I induced a labor with wow. my, my words. I wonder what the baby's name is. Uh, let's. Uh, hey, can we bring Mr. Tamako into the studio, Richie? Tamako! We'll do that, and uh, Aaron Duran coming up here in a few. So just to, to give you a little uh, background on this, and then we got to hear the Tommy Lee story, yep. too. Tommy um, Lee and a, and a big uh, comedian story. So to, give, uh, so to give it a little bit more, um, uh, to get a little more background, so that, uh, some time ago, I mean, it must be uh, years ago now, The Simpsons did an episode where Homer creates half tobacco, half tomato, a tobacco plant. And then we heard from this listener, Rob, 
who was like, I'm doing it. I'm totally creating half tomato, half tobacco. And he actually brought us in a tomato plant, a, a tomato, you know, whatever, the actual fruit, the tomato, that was also had tobacco in it. And, and I was like, that's so great. That's so cool. Well, apparently, the new Simpsons DVD set that has come out has the tobacco episode, and the commentary track has a reference to this uh, show. So let's now welcome Rob, a.k.a. Mr. Tomacco. Hello, sir. Hi. How are you doing, my friend? Great. All right, so have I got the timeline about right? When did you make the tobacco plant? Oh, geez, about 2003, I think. Yeah, long yeah, time I remember ago. you coming in in 2003. And I meant to put it in Lucite or something to keep it forever, and then it rotted and they threw it away. Right. Now, uh, Ian Maxwell and Graham, who's the executive producer and the writer of the, that episode, uh, they had it in the uh, writer's workshop, and they looked at it, and it was like a wet paint sign. You know, they had right. to check it out. They cut it open. They looked at it. They licked it, and Ian actually ate part of it. And it seemed like part of his crew were hoping that it would be toxic and kill him. Vile. No. Have you tasted it? No. Tomacco plant? No. No. He says it tastes wonderful. Just like a tomato? Like an heirloom tomato, like it was. A, v- a very good tomato. Just one that is also uh, tobacconated. Right. Interesting. Yeah. He thought it tasted better than any tomato he'd ever tasted before. It might be on this clip. Have you grown more since then? No. You know, once you've been on Mount Everest... Um, yeah. There you go. I, I've grown uh, Tompedo, which was tomato... Uh, to, uh, um, potatoes in the ground with tomatoes on the top, so it's like French fries and ketchup in the same plant. I emailed that out to my press contacts, and nobody cared because it wasn't on The Simpsons. Sure, Simpsons did it, but yeah. The Simpsons didn't do it. Yeah. Um, so, did you bring tobacco leaves with you today? Yeah, I got a uh, leaf from a tobacco that's growing wild in my backyard. I didn't think you could grow. I thought legally you had to have a license or something to grow tobacco. To sell it to the tobacco companies, you have to have an allotment. And you see that? Interesting. Missing chunk there. Richie yeah. bit that out. Richie, don't eat tobacco leaves. He's been nibbling at it and um, oh god, like two is he, cigarettes. Is he worth. high back there? He said he got oh, like two, two cigarettes worth by nibbling it. Uh, I had to take it away from him. He's like a dog. You got to just beat him every now and again. Yeah, I mean, and, really. And here I have a tobacco uh, bouquet. Sarah, there's a tobacco bouquet oh, for wow. you. Oh, oh, lovely Sarah. yellow flowers. You really that really nothing says I love you like a tobacco. Bouquet. And your fingers will be kind of a little sticky from the nicotine, so I wouldn't oh, lick sexy. them. Oh, boy. But if you yeah. put that in water, it'll dump really fine seeds on the table. And then you can grow your own tobacco. You can Sarah. plant it around the building, and Richie can be grazing on his hands and knees uh, for his fix. You're Happy weird. anniversary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, you shouldn't have. So, so the episode's available at Costco. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. And so this is, so now tell me about doing the commentary. So how did, what, how did this come about? Well, uh, Ian Maxstone Graham called me up uh, after it exploded on the Internet, right. and we chatted, and he invited me down to uh, Table Read, where the actors sit around, the yeah. voice actors. Right. Do the episode a episode in character, right? Uh, which is the only time they they do their voices in semi-public. Sure, there are like thirty people there, so it's really cool seeing Hank Azaria go from you know Hey Diddleo, Neighborino, Ned to Doctor Hibbard, and right, I mean, right. his skin color almost changes. You right, know, right. His posture changes. Fire and lots of it. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, so then uh, I suggested that I'd love to do the commentary. See, that's great. You don't wait to be asked. You just go, hey, hook a brother up. Let me do the commentary. Well, nobody's ever outside the staff has ever been on. So I'm the first person. <gasps> you are the first of... person to do a commentary other than the staff. Good right. for you. You're my wow. hero. Right on. All right. So, so, you're a tobacco, so you're on the tobacco commentary. Right. And is this, so this is the audio that I've got here. Yeah. Um, let me see here. This is, it's called Simpson Rick, I guess. Right. right when so. you can bask in my reflected glory. Uh, it, it, well, that's all. I, really, I am the moon that reflects everybody else's sun, sir. I really have no light of my own. Um, so, uh, for the last 30 minutes, I've been sponging off gas. Now I'm sponging off you. Then there'll be gas again. Then yeah, Sarah. Yeah, shame. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, all right, so this is uh, 30 seconds of the Simpsons Tomacco commentary uh, with Rob, a.k.a. Mr. Tomacco. But it looked really good, I guess the way packs of cigarettes do. And, and this uh, is so Ian Maxstone Graham, the writer, and Nick Nick it open and sort of smelled it and then tasted it, and then I just ate some, and it was delicious and didn't have any nicotine in it at all. And, and I'm glad of that. I wouldn't want to go down with the guy who <laughs> killed the Simpsons crew. Uh, I sold one on eBay for a total of $16. Gave one to a local radio talk show host, Rick Emerson, and uh, yeah. the money engineer at Xerox. He just ate the whole thing whole in one bite. What's and, up, bitch? Uh, had any ill effects. Excellent. That's the coolest thing. Yeah, so you were the only coward that actually didn't eat one of the three I, I saw. Away. Yeah, yeah, I'm a terrible person. Well, yeah, but who ended up on the credits? That's pretty amazing. That is really yeah, weird. They, I can't even really comprehend that. That's kind of breaking my brain. So... Excellent. Well, th- well, thank you for uh, for doing. See now, see, I can die tomorrow, and my uh, my name will live on forever. Correct. So, excellent. Well, 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 I mean, I would say best of continued success. But I mean, really, you, what have you after this, dude? It's all downhill. I'm sorry. The rest of your life is a big disappointment after this. I, I guess so. Um, wow. Uh, d- dumb question. Do you have a website or anything? Or no, no. You're just doing it for the love of the thing and for the Simpsons love. What so. a good man. Well, mm. originally I was trying to get on uh, Conan O'Brien. He was a uh, writer, a writer for Simpsons, them. Yeah. But he doesn't do you know stupid plant tricks. Right. Well, oh, it's, but I mean, dude, you took it to the mountain here. I mean, like I said, the first non-cast member, non-staff member to be on a Simpsons commentary. And so thank you so much for mentioning it. That is very cool. That's one of the coolest things that's ever happened to the show. So thank you, sir. Okay. All right, we'll take a break. Back after this, more from Craig Gas. Aaron Duran will join us on the other side as well. We'll talk uh, horror films a bit with Halloween coming up. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Indeed. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program here alongside comedian Craig Gass. Two shows tonight and two shows tomorrow. The Back Alley in Vancouver. Tickets at brownpapertickets.com. Brownpapertickets.com. Uh, also joining us in the studio, Aaron Geek in the City Duran. Hello, Hello sir. sir. So we're going to talk uh, movies and stuff here in a second. I know, but we, there's so much. Every time you come in the studio, I realize that we really like a 15-hour show because everything... Craig Gass says everything I say, it triggers nine other stories yeah, than the dude, other guy. We actually uh, triggered 12 stories just mentioning the name Quiet Riot. We should just skip to the end of the page and do a morning show. I, I agree. Really. I uh, agree. So, Tommy Lee, though, you told the Gene Simmons roast story. Well, what oh. happened? Now, what is up with the Tommy Lee things? I know that it went sideways a little bit. I'm glad I have a chance to explain this. Yes. Because, uh, now, I don't know if you're even aware of this, but believe it or not, Tommy Lee and Ludacris, the rapper, have a TV show now. Uh, I have no on, idea. It's on a network called uh, Planet... Oh, they, they have the Green Show. Yes, it's on Planet Green. Yes, nerd. And the network have... is an entire uh, 24-hour network dedicating to, uh, dedicated to saving the environment. That's right. what the network is, all green-friendly programming. And, um, and Tommy and Ludacris have this show called Battleground Earth, where Tommy Lee and Ludacris <laughs> are traveling around the country in eco-friendly tour buses... Oh, God. ...competing... To see who can outdo each other in doing Earth-friendly activities. And uh, that's the show. And then they called me up and said, uh, would you be interested in doing a roast to Tommy Lee? We're going to surprise him, uh, you know, with a, with a roast. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And they go, well, it's just it's going to be like a short, like it's, it's like a mini roast. We just want a couple comedians. Um, which is funny to say mini and sure. Tommy Lee because, you know, he's got an elbow in it. But they, uh, <laughs> so they fly, us out, they fly us out to San Francisco to do the show. Um, and, uh, and when we get there, this is where everything went downhill for me. Um, we get there and they're filming on the beach underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. Right. 
and they're filming uh, another scene for the show with a 50-member church choir and the church choir is uh it's, it's beautiful the sun is setting and they're and they're singing and, and it's amazing and then they made uh paul rodriguez and i hide in a tent so that tommy lee wouldn't see us right and uh and the and the church choir came into our tent and i saw them and i went hey um i just want to tell you guys i was listening and you guys are amazing that was really beautiful i really dug that man that was cool and like oh thanks man you're a comedian i go yeah i'm, I'm a stand-up comedian I'm, I'm shooting something else here but but uh but yeah i wanted to tell you man that was awesome they go oh man that's great and i hear someone in the choir say hey put your robes back on everybody we're going back out for the next shoot it's time for comedy and i go what it's not well, hold on uh wait you you don't this is something else. You guys don't want to be here for this. We're doing a, we're doing a roast. This isn't for you. This is something else. And the guy says, uh, "Oh no, the um the producer asked to stick around and watch you guys do your thing. So we're gonna we're gonna get our laugh on." And I go, "Well, you guys aren't like a real church choir, are you? You're not like a real." And they go, "Yeah, we're from the Oakland Church of Christ." And I was like. The Oakland Church of Christ. Wow, that's great. <clears throat> Is there a director around here that I can talk to? And, and I, I grab this director and I go, hey, man, um, that choir is going to sit behind me when I'm doing my thing? And he goes, yeah. And I go, do you know what I'm going to say? And he goes, Craig, this choir is really cool. And I go, do you have any idea what I'm planning on saying? And he goes, Craig, this choir is really cool. So we go out there. And there's a 50-member church choir standing behind us. And I, the only thing I want to do is I'm hoping that Tommy Lee is going to think I'm so cool from doing this roast that he's going to offer me a pass to the upcoming Motley Crue tour. Right. Now I'm going to hell. There's no way to edit out <laughs> what I'm going to say. So uh, so Paul Rodriguez goes up first. He doesn't even curse at all. Uh. He's doing Mexican jokes, and the choir is already on edge. There's a blind woman in the choir who keeps looking around really uncomfortably. like She just doesn't want to be there. The next comedian goes up. He doesn't curse at all, but the choir's getting more and more on edge, and they go, all right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your final comedian, Mr. Craig Gass. And I came up there. And I just, I called an audible in my head. Have you ever done a radio appearance where the crowd's not going the way you think they're going to go and you change everything yes, you're going to say? on the fly. On the fly. You just go, you know what, screw it. Uh, I know we had a plan. Forget the plan. Yeah. We're going to do this. And I had to throw out, uh, I couldn't change the material, but I thought, here's what I'll do. I will include the choir in my material. Oh, God. And I'll acknowledge them, and I'll make them a part of the whole thing. Maybe uh. that way they'll think I'm cool. And I walked up and I go, uh, <clears throat> Tommy Lee. Hey, man. Um, it's an honor to be here um, with Tommy. Uh, Tommy is, is Tommy. Uh, you're here to show us how to make the earth greener, uh, which is appropriate since you have a tree trunk in your pants. Can I get an amen? And the church choir went, amen. <laughs> and I go, Tommy, Tommy, you have no fear, no fear at all. Even when you were behind bars, you had no fear. It's one thing to be threatened with eight to ten in prison. It's another to be threatened with eight to ten in the seat. Can I get an amen? And the church choir went, oh my god. <laughs> and I went. Close enough. Tommy! And then and then I said a line that I can't say on the air. If somebody yells out Tommy Lee roast, or just yell out Tommy Lee at when we do the shows uh, uh, this weekend at the Back Alley Nightclub, uh, I'll tell the line that made the blind woman in the choir go, What's going on? And she started, she actually started walking down the beach in no particular direction. To get direction, away. Just to get away from the noise of my jokes. That's wonderful. It was phenomenal. When is this going to, when when will this? Uh... Uh, clips of it are on YouTube right now, and it is so edited. It is funny. Like, uh, I tell a couple, like, um, 
pretty innocuous jokes, and then I get to my first Tommy Lee, uh, right. like, serious joke that I want to say, and they just sweep over the choir, and then it cuts back to Paul Rodriguez. They cut, <laughs> they cut it down, because the line that I said freaked out the choir so much, the director goes, cut, cut, and he, and he came up and he said, we can't, you know, what are you doing? You can't, and I go, I told you this. And he goes, the choir's freaking out. I go, I know, I told you they were going to freak out. That's gold. And they kept rolling tape, and I don't know if they're, they said oh. they're going to release this, where I turned around and I looked at the choir, and I just said, hey, man. I'm a good person, all right? I, I love my mom, all right? I, I send her money every month, and, and yeah, they got really weird. That is wonderful. Uh, uh, Craig Gass, he's going to be uh, back alley tonight, two shows. Tomorrow, two shows. Tickets at brownpapertickets.com. Uh, I want to hear the, the George Carlin story. And, oh, also, yeah. and also, I want to get, and Aaron's going to uh, weigh in on movies here in a second. We've got Halloween coming up, movies, yep. and I know you got a lot to say about that. Let's get one call here, and then we'll do that. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, what's going on? What do you got? Greg Gass, you got to do some Sam Kinison. I actually, I meant to ask you about Kinison. Um, how? Do, here's a dumb question. You're a guy who's doing, um, you know, you're, you're doing the voices, impressions. How do you know when you got it? I mean, do you have to find some guy who you know will give you the straight scoop, and you have to go up and do the voice and go, dude, have I got it? I mean, how do you know when you've got like no, Kinison's I, voice nailed? I guess I don't even work it. I'm very lazy. I just uh, from hearing somebody's voice over and over again. If it's an unusual voice, like I don't think you have an unusual voice, but you have a unique pattern. You have a you know a unique like rhythm. Mm-hmm. I think I could probably get your rhythm down. It's just um, I don't know. I mean, I just with Kennison, did you kind of know in terms of a barometer? You go like, that's it. I got it. It's no, locked. it's usually just telling a story. They'll tell a story and they go, hey, did you see the thing where Sam? Uh, and then the voice will kind of come out. I mean, you know, my I grew up in a family. My whole family's deaf. Right, right. And everyone in my family is is completely deaf. So growing up in that family, I couldn't learn how to talk. From my own family. So you're like a blank slate. Uh, I learned how to talk by copying yeah. all the voices I heard on TV. And, and I grew up in the Bronx. I never got an accent from the Bronx. And right. everybody in the Bronx sounds like Tracy Morgan. Everybody in the Bronx, talk like this. <laughs> Whether you black or white, male or female, that's crazy. Uh, yes. So, uh, but doing Sam Kinison is just, you know, I, I, I did watch these tapes. I go, wait a second. This guy, um, he's got an unusual story. He's got an unusual um, speech. Sounds like he's kind of drunk. And for some reason, this guy loves to yell! Oh! Oh, what is this guy's deal? My God, what is going on in Vancouver? Are they giving out free cocaine? Are they? Oh! <laughs> Terrifies me. Freaks uh, me out, man. It freaks me out. Uh, somebody say the serenity prayer for me! <laughs> John McCain, way to put up a fight, you loser! <laughs> Don't you have one piece of agenda you got memorized? Oh! God, it's like, you know, Barack could go out and campaign for you. He knows more about you than you do. Oh. Jesus. I You must get told this all the time, but especially <laughs> with Kinnison. That just, it's it's uh, it's so creepy. I've heard because he's a dead guy. And also, I mean, it's just, uh, it's like, it, you know what it is? It's like drinking Crystal Pepsi, where it was like, it looks like 7-Up, but tastes like Pepsi, and your brain's like, I don't know what's going on. That's that's the thing with watching you do that voice. I mean, it just, my brain folds in I love I love doing impressions of people who I just, you know, I just thought Sam was funny. Uh, I think Paul Stanley's funny. Yeah. You know, when he does interviews like that. Uh, I think Gene Simmons is funny when he tries to be serious and sell you some new aspirin by Kiss. and uh, Or Adam Sandler, who's uh, just a lot of fun. And uh, I actually uh, have a favorite joke I'd like to tell. Can I tell my favorite joke yes. by Adam Sandler? It's my favorite sports joke, and I hope you get this. 
uh, Adam Sandler, uh, when I used to write for uh, Weekend Update, uh, Sandler was doing uh, a comedy show that I found out about at Saturday Night Live, and so we went to go see him. And he goes, uh, hey, so uh, I saw that uh, Will Chamberlain was the uh, first guy to ever score 100 points all by himself in an NBA game. That's a true story. Uh, that, uh, uh, Will Chamberlain was the first guy to ever score 100 points all by himself in an NBA game. And I like to do my impression of one of Will's teammates during halftime. Here we go. Ah, Will. I'm open. <laughs> Why don't you pass the ball, bro? You got 64 points. Tom's got two, and it's only because you bounced the ball off his head into the basket. Come on, bro. My parents are here. You're embarrassing me. All right. That was good. That was good. I do one more impression. This is my impression of uh, the coach of the opposing team during halftime. This is the coach of the opposing team during halftime when uh, uh, Will Chamberlain scored one point. Here we go. Uh... Who's covering Wilton? <laughs> I love it, Joe. Greg Gass. Aaron Durant. Yes, yeah, sir. Uh, so it's one of those days. Yeah, why, do, why are you making me follow this? Can uh, I just sorry. come back next Friday? Uh, I just cash it in. I don't care. It's up to you. <laughs> come on, Aaron. You can do it. You can do it! See, it freaks me out because... Did you ever see Kennison live? Yes, once. Right okay, before yeah. he died. That's what, yeah, that's what makes it even more free because I saw him when I illegally was allowed to sneak into the MGM Grand. Right. Really? Yeah, we tried. We had fake IDs, and the bouncers caught us, and we're going to kick us out. And Sam Kennison saw us being kicked out in the back row and freaked out and demanded that we be left in. That and is he, so cool. He wow. would prevent us from drinking, but they had paid, they had paid to see the show, and they were going to watch the show. I don't care how old they are. Wow. We hung yeah, out outside the awesome. backstage door. Uh, a couple weeks before he died, he did a show in Washington State. We hung out around the backstage door for like an hour because we couldn't get in the meet and greet or I didn't know anybody, you know, and and we waited around just to see him, and he walked out the backstage door, and we had been waiting there for like an hour, you know, you know, just like Sam, hello, we threw up the devil horns, and he um, he gave the devil horns back, and he high fived the guy next to me, and he goes, freedom fighters unite, and then he got into the van, and then he was, and then we spent the rest of the night in some terrible teen movie thing of trying to find what hotel he was in, like driving around and like a Ford, like in a Ford Escort. Going from hotel to hotel trying to find Kinnison, and less funny than it would be if it was a movie, but a bunch of wow. idiot dudes trying to find Kinnison all night. Like you know? Someone who you admire, and he yeah. gave something back, dude. And then uh, compared to my uh, standing uh, outside of Nikki Six's uh, uh, trailer, uh, he walks out, my buddy stand behind me, and I go, hey, Nikki, good show tonight. And he goes, you're a dick. <laughs> I mean, and when he said dick, literally spit flew out of his mouth into my face. And he just kept walking. That's the best thing ever. And then my buddy who was standing behind me, I just watched Nikki walk away. And then I turned around and I went, so, uh... Are you still hungry? Or, uh, he goes, yeah, let's uh, go to Denny's. And we went to Denny's and never even acknowledged that that happened for the next day. That's, that's how, so great. That's how good of a friend my buddy was. He didn't even point out the fact that I was a homo because so, uh, Nikki told me I was. Well, you got, uh, so what do you, what's you, you guys been doing this, and I, unfortunately we may not have a chance to play much, but you got the, that's uh, all right. you've been doing interviews about horror films? And yeah, we've been like contacting a bunch of like, you know, local Portland celebrities and whatnot, having them tell their, uh, their childhood horror memories, the first time they remember having the, you know, the crap scared out of them. Right. And uh, yeah, this week we had, well, we had Clyde in. Uh, Clyde Lewis of Ground Zero, right. and uh, we also had Storm Large tell her story about uh, sneaking into the high school auditorium when she was underage and watching Jaws, but having to hide in the back because if she got caught, she was going to get beaten by her father. Right. So she's eight years old, hiding in the back, you know, the auditorium of the school where it's pitch black, being terrified by Jaws, but not allowed to scream out because if she gets caught, she's dead. Right. So she has to remain totally silent during the whole thing. During the whole thing, and she said to this day, she still won't go into water. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and... so yeah, we've got stories of like uh, Carl Click in high school being terrified or in college 
of being terrified of uh, Friday the 13th and just completely obsessed that Jason Voorhees was in the trunk of his car driving in college. Grown <laughs> man. And they came Jason's up in his trunk. He and his, his college bro came across a hitchhiker riding home. They turned around and went back the long way home. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of stories like that on Film People Radio. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and then, uh, Sarah, you, you, are, you, are you part of that, too? They interview you um, for that? I'm never supposed we, to, but then we just our paths just kept... We're like star-crossed together. nerds. That's right. true. Okay, well, fair enough. Well, uh, now after hearing those stories, they're so much better than mine. That it, no, well, no, you're telling one. We're going to find a way. Right, Craig Gass, okay. first movie that terrified you? First horror movie? Oh, it was definitely uh, uh, Friday the 13th, that end scene. Really, oh, no, actually, it was Amityville Horror because it was, yeah. in, it was in New York, and my mom was obsessed with the story, and we ended up seeing the movie in the theater like three or four times, and, uh, and that, that was, without question, scared the crap out of me. Slow motion, how he killed his family. Oh, yeah. totally. I was always, uh, oh. every night, uh, waiting for my bedroom door to open in slow motion for, with a guy <laughs> out there with a shot. I mean, that, that really screwed me up. Were you ever able to walk by the creepy barn houses from then on? Uh, no, well, there was, yeah, like, to this day, they creep me yeah, out. Yeah, because they have those big the windows look like eyes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hey, have you, you're not reviewing W, are you? Uh, I, I found it online, and cares? I watched it, but, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually getting good reviews. It's, it's pretty good. I mean, it, Stone is way more sympathetic than you expect him to be. Really? You, yeah. you watch the movie online? No. Yeah, a friend someone, of yours. Someone legally A friend of yours doing downloaded his, it illegally. Doing his duties as a film critic that can't go to movies at 1 o'clock in the yeah. afternoon. So somebody uh, like you watched it online. Yeah. 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 My um, evil Italian twin. Yeah. I just, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to open very strong at all. I think Americans are kind of had, they're, nah, they're kind of tired of it. They're full. Yeah. yeah they're done. So. All right. George Carlin, can we squeeze Oh, yeah, yeah. We got a couple minutes here. Can you tell? I don't want to make it jam it into a small period of time, but you, can you tell one of, the, one of your comments? Uh, sure. First? George Carlin was, uh, I'll tell a few of them on stage this weekend in the back alley. Uh, George Carlin was my mentor. Um, I met him when I first started doing comedy. He flew me to L.A. a couple of times. His manager represented me. Um, and George offered to uh, help me with my career. And the only thing I ever wanted from him was uh, um, I wanted a father figure, and I would just ask him questions about life from time to time, about drugs and God. And, and uh, I'll tell you, the one story I can fit in right here is that uh, when... Uh, um, uh, I never heard a guy his age talk about his wife as much as he did. Uh, his wife, Brenda, was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer right. and died uh, three weeks later on Mother's Day. Um, and, uh, and when I found out about it, I called in to check in to see if he was okay. He seemed to be all right, but I called his, uh, his friend, Dennis Blair, who was his opening act, who introduced me to George back in 1993. And, uh, and Dennis said, yeah, I went to go see him. Uh, and uh, he's doing okay, and uh, my wife and I were watching him after we talked to him. He said, well, listen, I'm really tired. i got to get to sleep, so, you know, but I really appreciate what you're trying to do. I'm just really tired, and i got to go. And they said, all right, well, we'll see you in a little bit. Just call us tomorrow, okay? And they said they saw George go walking down the hall, open the door to his bedroom, and they could see inside his bedroom, and they could see that George had taken down all of Brenda's stuffed animals that she collected over the years and he took all the stuffed animals and he put them in the bed oh, so he could, he could be with those stuffed ever animals oh, yeah that's George oh. there's a lot of really phenomenal stories that I got oh. about George and I'll tell a few of them just yell out George uh, at the back alley this weekend at, at, in Vancouver, yell out Tommy Lee, and I'll tell you the great joke that got me uh, taken off the, the roast. Yell out uh, Gilbert Gottfried, and I'll tell you the most god-awful uh, story <laughs> of all time, that it may be the filthiest, most disturbing joke ever by Gilbert Gottfried. Excellent. Final question, real quickly. Do, do, do people, do you ever get celebrities to come up and they ask you to start doing an impression? Do me, dude. Come yeah, on. absolutely. All the time. Who? Uh, Tom Arnold. Uh, hey, you know, I heard you do an impression of me, but uh, uh, you kind of make it sound like I'm actually on coke, and uh, you make it sound like I'm on pay. 
painkillers. Like, I don't know when to shut up. Like, I don't know when to stop. Why is that? You make me sound like I'm does, a loser. Does anybody ask you, like, somebody you don't already do, and they, they request that you start, you learn it? Like, learn how to me, learn how to do me. Yeah, I've actually, uh, well, uh, there was one funny moment where uh, I got asked to come in and do a political commentary at a TV station in Arizona, and they said, can you do Barack Obama? And I go, yeah, absolutely, but I can't. And I walked in, and they had a guy do John McCain, and they go, Barack, what do you think? And I just started doing Tracy Morgan. <laughs> well, I'm Barack Obama. <laughs> and all I got to say is Hillary Clinton has a mullet. That's crazy. Excellent. <laughs> thank we'll, you, Rick. We'll go on it. Thank you, Craig. Thank you to the back alley. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to the people who do the breakfast at the Fairfield Inn and Suites at the hotel I'm staying at over there on the North Harbor because uh, those guys are hooking me up before anything is supposed to be put out. They give me the eggs and the ham and the uh, and the sausages. Craig Gass, ladies and gentlemen, tonight and tomorrow, brownpapertickets.com. Two shows tonight, two shows tomorrow at the back alley. Aaron Duran, filmfeverradio.com, geekinthecity.com. Thanks to Mr. Tomacco, Lisa Desjardins, Craig Gass, Aaron Duran. Like us next, Musicology, Sunday night at 7. Uh, we'll see you all Monday. Have a good weekend. Be safe. Thanks for listening, and watch out for snakes. Bye now. I was doing that thing where you stick your fingers in the hole and kind of diddle around the little the thing that hangs inside.